this dispatch episode of Watch Out for Fireballs, the last dispatch episode of Watch Out for Fireballs of 2019 is brought to you by our patrons. What a surprise! Last minute twist. Uh, if you are hearing this on early release, please tune in to DuckStream this weekend. Go to duckfeed.tv slash duckstream to find information. Uh, and if you are a patron, thank you very much. If you're not, please consider. Go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Thank you. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs Dispatch, our dispatch episode for December. Yeah. Where we answer your questions and your prompts and read your responses. Yeah. Throw a little topic discussion in between. Things get a little bit loose, a little bit, uh, a little bit loosey, a little bit goosey. Uh, I got to tell you, yeah. we don't always agree on it. <laughs> when you have movies like Tom Cruise in them. Yeah, oh, man. it's so great that they're even making movies like this. Anymore. Yeah, that's uh, it's real hard not to let that stuff filter in. That has been one of my biggest uh, the, the on cinema verse has been one of the one of my biggest like media personal media acquisitions. The the the, the media uh, Pokemon that I caught this year that mm-hmm. I'm most glad that I did. So yay! That's always a, a thing on the AV Club. They always have like, what old media did you get turned on to this year? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a good uh, it's a good feeling. Yeah. Come into the uh, yeah, on Cinemaverse. Really excited <laughs> to go to the uh, mandatory attendance tour in a couple months. <laughs> you love Tutti Fruity. We love Tutti Fruity. It's the music you grew up with. <laughs> so <laughs> very excited for little Ritchie. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, well, why don't we get started? We're gonna do the uh, gonna do the questions and prompts first here. Yeah, as, as per uh, as per always. Mm-hmm. Here, uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, get us started here, Cole. I usually start. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, let's go first. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, let, let's let's see. Uh, let's let's see here. Um, uh, let's go with Tamika, who asks or says, "I really enjoyed the discussion of game economies in the Jade Empire episode, and think a greater discussion of how game economies can creep into other aspects aspects of the game make for a good topic in games that handle that burden particularly well or poorly." Yeah. So yeah, this this could this could be a topic, but it could mm-hmm. also be something we can get through in a, in a reasonable uh, time. Yeah, um, this is like I, mean, I think that like for me, the origins of this idea uh, started during the Bloodborne season. So in a weird way, like Chalice Dungeons are the the way that this <laughs> game design truth came to me. Yeah, you know, was was realizing how unfun it was to you know go into a corner of the world, um, explore like a cool secret, and just find you know, a scratch off that wins another scratch off. Yeah. As, as Riff puts it for Chalice Dungeons, you know, um, and that just feeling bad, mm-hmm. you know, and just thinking like, oh, the fact that this game does not have as much equipment, like there's, you know, very few armor sets. There's only a limited number of weapons. Yeah. It is not as item based. It doesn't have that RPG sense to it that the previous games had mm-hmm. have actually impacted the level design and the feeling of exploration. Yeah. And that kind of set off that whole idea of like, oh, these things actually 
uh, impact more than it initially seems. Mm -hmm. And I think that like analysis of economies and games is hurt by two things. Number one, when, whenever people talk about economies and games, they are often talking about, um, multiplayer games, uh, specifically Mm -hmm. MMOs, uh, and things like that. Um, additionally, economy is one of those things that uh, you only really notice when it's bad. Yeah. There's plenty of just straight putt fine economies yeah in games and they're just fine yeah you know like it's hard to think of ones that are really good like there are a couple of things like games that do interesting things with it mm-hmm. um like shadow tower there's yeah. an interesting thing with it with the weird health weapon degradation like triangle yeah so, that that game has that, that's interesting mm-hmm. um, you know uh something that is interesting is uh metro metro does amazing things with their economy where your currency mm. is literally bullets like the good bullets yeah. are your money. <laughs> yeah, that that is interesting. Like I think that Fallout One, like mm-hmm. when I first played that, that's a really interesting the idea that everyone is a you know, there are merchants in a town, but everyone is a barterer. Mm-hmm. So if somebody has something that's interesting to you, you know, you can trade like everyone is a is a shop. Yeah. Um that that was really pretty fascinating yeah. uh, to me at the time. That's interesting and cool mm-hmm. and plays into the world flavor. Yeah. Uh, really well uh, but like other times the economy gets so well integrated with everything else that it becomes like just another another reason that the game is perfect see re4 where there is an economy yes. to that game right but you ride it so smoothly that you're pretty much always like getting just enough money for this um briefcase upgrade right when you reach there yeah yeah and you're choosing between that briefcase upgrade and something else that is also useful. Yes. You're never, there's no slam dunk choices. I think mm-hmm. slam dunk choices are a problem mm-hmm. uh, in an economy. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in terms of games that have, have fucked it up, um, <clears throat> I think that there's a real comorbidity with crafting systems yeah. and fucking this up mm-hmm. um, just because then there is just a preponderance of items that are not good on their own in the world, Yeah. which fuck up the exploration aspect of it. Like if I'm not, going to craft the specific sword mm-hmm. beating this boss or going into this corner to get a part of this sword when i'm specced for axes feels bad yeah you know that that's, that's a shitty feeling mm-hmm. um it feels worse than just getting an axe or a sword i'm not going to use yeah like getting a part of a sword like that's you know <laughs> like uh for as much as like i think that it's a masterpiece game i think witcher 3 has a pretty annoying economy yeah i think it's probably one of the weaker parts of that game mm-hmm. you know um the uh, or I think about uh, Fallout seventy six's economy is horrible. It's so disempowering. <laughs> like they they have such a tight throttle on your power. Like again, just in the way that the, the tendrils reach into things, because economy also plays into um, your power arc in a game. Yeah, and how much control. Like we talk about games that are slopes versus games that are stairs, mm-hmm. and how stairs are really satisfying because you can kind of jump the curve temporarily and it feels really good. Yeah. Like, oh, man, I, I did the work to get the Drake sword. And now, you know, inarguably, I am unbalanced and kind mm-hmm. of overpowered for a couple levels. Yeah. Uh, I can sprint until I run into the, the wall. Game. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels good. Mm-hmm. Like it, it it has a really nice sense of pace to it. Um, you know, games that uh, so Fallout 76, because it is a multiplayer game um, and because it's not like particularly well made, like it has such a tight control on the economy where you go in and you trade 70 sets of just you know junk and you get three caps mm-hmm. which then you can spend six caps to get you know a plus one armor upgrade like it's yeah. it's very very slow and kind of pathetic feeling mm. there's no empowerment in it yeah you know so it, it almost feels like to do like a whole it's almost like it needs a diagram <laughs> you know like it, it's like i want a game game makers toolkit video about this because it, it really does impact a lot of things mm-hmm. it's very important yeah 
Um, because it lines no. up with incentives and like incentive managing incentives is like one of the major things that a game designer does. Yep. So. That, uh, that computer noise, which I'm not going to bother to edit out is pocket has learned how to turn on my printer. Ooh. Uh, and he's also learned how to unplug it. So now when he turns on, it doesn't just turn on. It says it's not recognized because he like unplugged it and replugged it on. <laughs> it and then he will press print and it makes there's no pr- paper in it. It makes a loud printing noise uh-huh. and he gets poof tailed as hell. <laughs> uh, he just like is kind of like scaring himself with this printer. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, really I, weird. I, I, and he I, just he, he does it because he's bored. Yeah, of course. He, um, it's a new toy. Yeah. I mean, like, just like it's like all the other toys. He does something with it. and It makes noise. He's playing mist. <laughs> Like he's trying to figure out how this device works just by like sniffing it and like drawing the buttons. Yeah. But he can't read. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm happy that Greta doesn't have very much motivation because my new acquisition that is like caused her to go poof tail is for my birthday. My brother got me a, uh, like a, like a flip clock. It's like a real okay. ornate thing where the, you know, like it, it updates the time by like having just like a one of the dudes like flip down like you would recognize it if you yeah. saw it and it makes a noise. And I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And but it makes an especially loud noise on the hour when both of the digits mm. change at once. So on, on the minute, okay. Greta doesn't notice it on the hour. It causes her to do 180s to face it. It's very. Yeah. Good. <laughs> if she was what motivated, she would she, she would take it down, but she has no motivation. So. Yeah, yeah. It's a you know, Greta is a hero, but Pocket <laughs> is a complex villain. Like he's a Luca fight. Like he's you know he's he's got he's not a, a you know he's not a Kafka. No, no. So he's he's got complicated motivations, <laughs> uh, motivated by neither food nor fear. Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so the uh, t- uh, Toke uh, mm-hmm. asks uh, the story in Tyranny ends early, but leaves you hungry for more. Can you think of other examples that, of games that do the same? Uh, do you think other games could learn from this? Uh, so basically, you know, games that end, but leave you wanting more as opposed to being unsatisfied or satisfied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is satisfied, tough. but not over. You know, right. Kind of. Yeah. It's, it's very rare that I am not ready for a game to be over when it's over now. Same. Like in general, like it's never, you know, it's, I, I, I know this is a, a personal bugbear and not everybody dislikes it, but it's one of the things that turns me off against the uh, visual novel, like beat this game six times to have the real experience, right, right, you know, or near thing is that like seeing those credits is a really powerful, like, all right, I did a thing. Let's yeah. move on. You know, I'm, it's very rarely rare that I'm like, yeah, like I just want to play that again and see what else happened. Like, mm-hmm. no, I, I want to do something different. It's a very intense feeling. Yeah that I have. So this is, this is really hard for me to think of other games that do this. And I think that's part of why I was so happy about, you know, tyranny doing it. And so, you know, heap so much praise on it mm-hmm. is because it is, I think it's a very rare thing. Yeah. Um, games you know? that have done, have done this well until I play the bad one, um, uh, are the, uh, Arkham games. Mm. Like I, like I've, I've ended, I've ended those being like, okay, yeah. But what, what else what else he got for me because they almost always end with like a little hint as opposed to a cliffhanger right i think like yeah when <laughs> you know people complain about tyranny's ending like it doesn't matter like when this at like doesn't matter the quality of the thing when this happens people tend to kind of grouse because an incomplete ending or an early ending feels like a bad one yeah yeah, yeah. it reminds me it's much easier to find examples in tv yeah for this than games for mm-hmm. me. Like I know that was a big thing. Uh, and all of those endings are things I came to peace with mm-hmm. as setting up a new status quo. So like the original ending of Deadwood before they added the movie mm-hmm. doesn't resolve all of its plots. Yeah. But I, I came to really love that ending as just kind of a new status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, Carnival 
is a similar thing. Like Carnival ends kind of a, a season. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's two seasons, but it ends kind of like an arc, but sets up a new status quo that's like cool and scary. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to like just be like, yeah, that's kind of just exist out in the world. Yeah. It's okay that I don't get to experience it. It'd be cool if I did, but it's also just like really compelling and full of rich ideas on its own. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So hard for me to think of other examples in games, though. I'm, I tend mm-hmm. to be done with games when they're done. Yeah, they're so long. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the longest form of media I regularly consume. Mm-hmm. You know, even even books take less time, mm-hmm. you know, even if I'm reading a book. So, like, that's the thing with games, you know, and, and part of the reason why I think that, like, the moment to moment matters to me so much in games is just volume. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talked about that a lot and stuff, but it's like, you know, if if. You're you're thinking back on a classic JRPG and you're like, oh, I just remember the highlights and it doesn't matter to me that most of the time is spent random battles. It's like, well, but most of the time in that, uh, you know, in, in final uh, playthrough of Final Fantasy VII, you might spend 25 hours mm-hmm. just in random battles. Yeah. You know, that, that's an that's a that's a unruly amount of time. <laughs> you know, it is it is the longest media. Yeah. Like so. And yeah. yeah. Um. Let's see here. Uh, Doug writes, you mentioned in a recent episode that the the trend toward more cinematic music in games has been generally a net negative as opposed to, say, the short but catchy loops of the 8 and 16-bit eras. Uh, Are there more modern cinematic game scores that you do like? Uh, This is going to be an unsatisfying answer, but all of them are indies. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah I, the, I don't there's not a, there hasn't been like a triple a <laughs> like score i've been super into right for quite a while actually yeah um so it it, yeah. it, it, it gets rough because like modern cinematic game scores makes me think of like assassin's creed or something like that yeah like yeah put a gun to my head and have me listen to assassin's creed yeah, like i don't for, you know force force me to hum one of those uh you know maybe no no um, I, I couldn't <laughs> Sorry, yeah i don't know i don't know I how those play, go i play in like those games so the um so i think of something like even though it's not like cinematic it's not like a retro score mm-hmm. of something like hollow knight yeah like that has it, it's not ambient it's texture but it's somewhere work. between yeah it's texture it is textural without being ambient i think it's a really like wonderful soundtrack mm-hmm. um you know, but in general, it is, it is pretty hard for me to think of these. Yeah. I, I remember thinking um, that when on the rare chance I didn't have the radio on in Fallout 4, mm-hmm. like it would just play the kind of orchestral music. And I remember thinking it was pretty good. Yeah. But I don't remember anything other than that, like a very gentle and kind of half-hearted sense of goodwill. I don't remember mm-hmm. anything really about it. Yeah. So, which like, is the problem yeah. for me. On the other like, side you know. of this, like uh, scores that I would consider to be extremely cinematic and dramatic even – uh, would be the music for the last door um and consequently like blasphemous uh but mm, yeah that's oh, man blasphemous <laughs> music is very good though yeah, yeah. sorry just just uh, <laughs> no no but, but, I'm, but, I'm, but, I'm, but i'm but i'm but i'm but i'm calling it good right like i, I would no, no, i would call it cinematic yeah it just it just rushed to my head yeah <laughs> like i there's the, the cameras did a zoom in on my pupil which just expanded like in you know, uh, <laughs> like in requiem for a dream <laughs> Requiem for a dream. Yeah. I, I just had a real like, oh yeah. Like, we get to talk about that soundtrack pretty soon. I know. Right? Uh, that soundtrack is incredible. Yeah. The, 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 uh, that composer, you know, like the like the last door has amazing music. Both of those do. Um yeah, but like that's indie and also it you like you know, uses some more digital sound palettes. Like that, you know, that isn't 
a philharmonic orchestra, you know, flooding you yeah. with sound. So it's hard to it's hard to say it qualifies, you know. Yeah, there there's something to where the, the idea of music. Um, the other thing I think about when I think about modern games that do that is I think about like MCU music. Oh yeah, you know, and I and I see this as like as 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 is getting increasingly unfashionable to like those movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, as somebody who likes those movies, like I'm never going to go to bat for the music. Right, it can have like a moment of like. Oh, like this inspired a feeling because mm-hmm. I have associations. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think that's that impressive of a trick to me. And I, and mm-hmm. I you know, it just it just doesn't do a lot for me. Yeah, like just having an emotion. I was thinking about like when and we did the Dark Souls three uh, music episode, and you talked about the um those three you know just those three notes in the the Soul of Cinder theme mm-hmm. that Paul Gwyn and that being the thing everyone talks about. I was also thinking about how nobody really, uh, even though I think it's not generally not bad, talks about the music from Bioshock Infinite. Other mm-hmm. than the covers. Yeah. Like yeah. everyone's like, oh, yeah, the music in that game is great. And they're just talking about those po- the postmodern jukebox mm-hmm. stuff. Because, of course, they are. Yeah. You know, it's just I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's that unusual to be have that stuff fade into the background. I think the, the big thing is we're just saying it. Yeah. And then well, well, I mean, know, just people we're both controversial granted. and brave is the problem. That's true. And we're getting paid. Yes. For those opinions. <laughs> um, it's, it's a combination of those uh, those those traits, those virtues. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jack says, uh, with the transition from physical games to digital and now to game streaming, most gamers don't own their games in the same way that they used to, if at all. In addition, the range of things that can be done with each kind of game are different. Uh, game sharing, mods, copies for emulation, etc. What do you guys think are the positives and negatives of these three different game delivery systems, as well as any greater impacts and implications uh, each of them has on gaming as a whole? So those three different systems being uh, owning a physical game like a cart mm. or a CD, right. um, having a digital rights to it like a Steam thing mm-hmm. uh, versus streaming it, you know, having the rights to stream it. Yes. Um, this is a this is a topic that I know a lot of people have very strong and very strongly expressed feelings about, you know, just you know, mm-hmm. modern just like digital property rights and things like that. It's I I don't really. So if you're looking for like if you're looking for, for me to crack my knuckles and like jump into the consumer defense squad i don't necessarily know that i'm going to do it i don't mind owning a digital copy of a thing that enters into my library and i have access to as long as i can run it uh however the idea of paying to stream something ephemeral that could just be yanked away like a netflix uh (laughs) you know like, like like a netflix movie uh feels unsatisfying to me and that's about where my that's about where my feelings stop yeah I'm very similar to you. Like, this is something that feels like I should be passionate about, but I'm not. And yeah. I, do, I don't want to disappoint anybody with that. Like, I think the people, you know, the Jim Sterlings of the world and such who are going on about this are right. Yes. Um, it's just not something that has enough impact on me, mm-hmm. at least now. And maybe I'll just be wrong. Like, Steam will go under and I won't own half my games I, I play. You know, <laughs> half, I have. Jesus. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, or, or, or way more, you know, obviously. Yeah. Hundreds of games that I've bought. Like, and that will feel bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I, I don't know what it is about me that is incapable of worrying about that. Mm-hmm. I just don't have that kind of, uh, I, I think that security is largely an illusion in life Yeah. Uh, yeah. on the whole, <laughs> you know, like, you know, security isn't a thing. Um, it's an illusion and we all pretend to have it and we never mm-hmm. actually have it. Like, right. you know, you can, you can always lose everything. There could just be an earthquake or a tornado or anything like that. Like you mm-hmm. can be insured, but then the insurance companies will fuck you. Like, yeah, you can wake up dead tomorrow. To all of us. You can wake up dead tomorrow. Like I don't, put a lot of stock in security mm-hmm. uh, as an idea. I value it, but I think it's largely fake. Yeah. Um, 
so it th- probably plays into this. And I also uh, I've gone through this entire dance with music. Right. I went from somebody with like a very robust uh, CD collection that I was kind of proud of to somebody who now just has a streaming service mm-hmm. for music uh, as a as an economic reality of moving into a successive series of smaller apartments, mm-hmm. uh, multi, you know, many times per year for several years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of came to peace with the idea. Like, you know, I, it sounded intolerable. It sounded like something I would hate doing. I did it. I woke up the next day and I was fine. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, I still get to listen to music. You know, that wasn't taken away from me. It's just the life that I have. Yeah. Um, it's not exactly the same, you know, with this game thing. Cause I could still choose to always buy physical copies. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I just know that the con, you know, it feels like the consequences are not, they're abstract. Yeah. Um, it also, I mean, it probably helps or hurts. Can you know, consider pick pick one of those. It probably helps or hurts that I spent so long working at a game store that was basically just a pawn shop, and I got to see the look in everybody's face when they realized how little residual value the physical versions of those games yeah. had. Like, you yeah. know, none of this is an investment. <laughs> you know, no. So like, no, no. I, like that, that that pretty much severed the idea that the physical thing. Uh, had any real value outside of you know what I what I chose to get in and get out of it, right? Yeah, whatever you chose to get from it. Yeah. Like if you take, if you enjoy your shelf, mm-hmm. you know nothing. You know that's great. Like that's a good reason to have a shelf. Yeah. Um. You know, but it, it's not. Uh. Yeah, it's not an investment. Right. It, it's a, it's a weird thing because I I think that it's also there's an element of this where looking at other forms of media mm-hmm. uh, and other mediums like. There's there is an element where this is the way the wind's blowing as well. Like yeah. raging against this feels a little bit like tilting at windmills. Yeah. To me. Like there's not like yes, everybody like dunked on the, the stadia and like it doesn't seem good. Mm-hmm. Uh there's there's I can say this as sure as I can say anything. There's no way in which that's not the future. Right. At some point. Like we don't just like that is the predominant way games happen is you just stream them. I I, I guarantee that it, it is it is inevitable. Yeah. Anytime one of those services, be it on live, be it uh, PlayStation Now, be it uh, Google Stadia fails or underwhelms, that is not the death knell of this. That just means it didn't work this time. Yeah, the technology isn't quite there, mm-hmm. but of course it will be because that's what technology does. And that doesn't mean like right now I can go buy vinyl and vinyl is having a resurgence. Like there will still be a way to buy these games physically if that's very important to you you'll still be able to do it it just won't be the the norm i don't think get with the times old man no. vinyls having a resurgence cassette tapes cassette tapes are having a resurgence yeah. cassette tapes are having a resurgence yeah. i have a tape player i know i have a cassette tape <laughs> yeah. the, uh, <laughs> i own a cassette tape guys. yeah yeah the, no, um it. you yeah. know uh it's dumb cassette tapes are expensive now uh-huh. i go into a thrift store and it's like seven bucks i'm like this is stupid <laughs> um you know this isn't worth it the uh you know but it, it is a. Uh, you know, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's an element of just kind of like buckle up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to it, to me as well. Yeah. Uh, so. Collectively as consumers, we don't actually have any real power over this. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. At the end, end of 2019, that's the answer you're getting. Like maybe some hope will happen <laughs> in the future and we'll feel like, you know, we're not just at the whims of waking up dead tomorrow and having no power as consumers, but like, I didn't expect you know, right like now, nihilism to be, yeah. And just the weather outside, man. Oh, yeah. It's the world we're living in now. Yeah, true, true. You know, this is water. Like... <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Patrick writes, at what point do you decide to walk away from a disappointing game? And what can and what can a disappointing game do to make you see it through to the end? 
who this is not um, this is never a conscious decision i just stop playing i i go and play something else i'd rather play <laughs> yeah and then just get you know, think i'm gonna go back to it and then i just don't yeah you know a lot of times it's pretty rare that like i mean every once in a while i'll quit something and like uninstall it mm-hmm. i'm like yeah i'm definitely not gonna play this yeah. generally though i think that i will at some point and it just goes in the big future bin with like all the spider web software games and <laughs> like everything that is the you know things that on most you know some level of my consciousness i know i'll never actually get to but i like the idea of it being a future grenade yeah yeah you know for me um yeah it's there's never like a marker a lot of times it is uh just enough friction Mm -hmm. you know like i'm i'm pretty bored i'd rather be playing something else and that comes up enough times i'm like well fuck this yeah uh you know and then if it if it's something that keeps me going for it is harder now i don't do that as much um, if something is disappointing and I just kind of see it through to the end, like, mm-hmm. unless like the thing that makes me do that is work, like yep. we're doing it for the show. Um, in general now though, if I'm playing something and I'm like, this is pretty bland, yeah. it's, I've, I've lost a lot of faith in the idea that something is going to redeem itself. Like you put in 10 bad hours to get your 10 good hours. Mm-hmm. I don't really like that construction for media and I don't, I'm pretty resistant to feeling it. Yeah. Uh, as I play a game, I never forget the first 10 hours. So mm-hmm. it's pretty rare that I'm like, this is going to keep me going to the end with the hopes that it gets better. It's not an investment. <laughs> oh it's not an investment. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't sunk cost fallacy <laughs> right. games anymore, right. generally. Yeah. Yep. So. The, the thing that it can do, and this is more of an outcome than a prescription, but the thing it can do is make me not want to stop playing in the first place. You know, yeah. be, be Spider-Man for PS4, you know, just be, yeah. be smooth joy the entire way through i don't know what yeah, makes that happen used. but yeah yeah and then we we try to talk about those again you know, one of the things we do in the show when if we're talking about a game that's very like good mm-hmm. is try to articulate like the the dozens of little things mm-hmm. that keep pulling you along yeah. you know but the answer is just too it's 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 there's not a general thing it's lots of little things yeah you know that uh that kind of pull you forward i think mm-hmm. so yeah um let us see here uh this question from Lewis here. Uh, any hopes for the announced Bioshock game? I just finished Infinite and had a lot of ill will towards it by the end. The artist and environment designers deserved a much better game in writing. Seems Ken Levine won't be involved in this new one. Maybe that'll help. Or has the Infinite Universe can of worms fucked it up for good? They can um, just choose not to do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I have, I have, I have quite a bit of hope actually yeah. uh, for this. Like, I think they can getting away from as a, a Bioshock two defend you know uh partisan mm-hmm. um i have you know getting ken levine away from this is good um the lead designer on it is sean elliott Brr? uh who is somebody uh, i yeah. did not know that really that's what, wow yep uh that's what he's been uh working on his like secret project mm-hmm. um you know after uh doing infinite and then working uh, at arcane mm-hmm. uh for a while Shit, um that's somebody who i like from podcast and i like how he thinks about games yeah um so I actually have a lot of hope for it. Well, yeah, no, just in the past 30 seconds, my hope for it has gone way up now that you mentioned Sean Elliott. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I just, I, I, you know, I think it, I, I would like to see, you know, I like that franchise. Mm-hmm. Infinite is, is really disappointing and dumb. Mm-hmm. I think it's really, you know, and it's, it's, it has the, the, the misery to be dumb in a useful way. So it's constantly <laughs> used as an example. Like right. if you're ever going to be bad, don't be bad in a way that allows other things to use you as an example <laughs> you know that's the worst way you can be bad because yeah. that means you'll be bad forever mm-hmm. you know people will forever be citing infinite yes as, as, a, as a game even though there are other games that do that kind of thing worse it's just because it's so useful it's good shorthand mm-hmm. you know so um 
but yeah, I'm excited. Uh, as much as I get excited about anything, which well, is like not that much. <laughs> I don't get too much game boner. So, which is a term I stole from uh, Sean Elliott. Damn. <laughs> like stoking your game boner is from uh, from GFW Radio. Foundation. So, Found a foundational yeah. craftsman. Uh, for full circle. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about jumping to media questions? Let's uh, let's do. Okay. Let's see here. Mark writes: Do either of you have want to love series or franchises that had great early entries and now just keep churning out disappointing sequels? For me, it's Aliens, Terminator, likely likely the new Star Wars films, etc. Um, and have you seen any of these rebound back into your good graces? I've heard some good buzz about the new Star Wars game, although I haven't played it yet. And there's always a chance that J.J. Abrams will stick the landing with this last one. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't, um, you know, for me, my my perennial example of that are the Jurassic Park movies. Mm-hmm. Which I like as much as, uh, you know, the the second and third of those I think is pretty bad. The newer ones, uh, the first one was pretty shit, but I still enjoyed watching it. Mm-hmm. The second one I liked a lot. Yeah. You know, and that's just something that like was a franchise, you know, it wasn't even really a franchise at first. Like, mm-hmm. you know, but it initially, you know, turning to a franchise that was something I care about yeah. and got sad, you know, when they were dumb and then kind of felt a little bit like they were back with the next one uh, yeah. as I recalibrated my, my expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this happened to me a little bit with like Marvel movies, specifically um, on the strength or weakness of Iron Man 2. Uh, but that mm-hmm. bounced back, you know, and I was like, oh, like I saw Iron yeah. Man 2. And it's like, ah, oh, this is, I'm, you know, it was cool. Like those, those those were fine, but now they're not. And we just, I'm just going to be okay with that. That 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 did ultimately uh, straighten out to an extent. Again, as unfashionable mm-hmm. as it is to be to you know to be into those movies, yeah, I've not seen them. Martin Scorsese is going to come kick me in the dick. <laughs> like, Bring it, old man. <laughs> yeah, old old man will is going to go like he's going to put his hands on uh, two bars like a uh, like in a jungle gym and kick us both in the dick at the same time. <laughs> just, you know, he's going to piss the class. He's going to get your, ball. Yeah, he's really going to Scorsese our balls. That's what they call that maneuver when you kick two guys in the dick at the same time. (laughs) It's called the Scorsese. Yeah. Uh, But like as far as television and stuff goes, I'm just, again, I'm I'm willing to cut bait. Like, yeah, the the, the Simpsons was was for me, but it changed and now it's not. So, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Cutting bait in general, I think, is a a pretty good idea. No one should have given those new Star Wars movies a chance. You guys see those prequels? Yeah. Y'all, y'all crazy. Um, the uh, a, a band example. Um, I was really, really excited when like two years ago, Wolf Parade put out, you know, an album that I like as much as their best album, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so that was a real cool thing. They took a really long break and, uh, you know, did some stuff that I thought was kind of middling and then came back yeah. with something I think is really excellent. Uh, that felt real good. Yeah. Um, you know, REM did that. Collapse in or now. I was going to give that example. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it, there's definitely examples of, of things like that. Uh, properties, I guess, yeah. in a general sense. Yeah. G- yeah. Generally, I'm just, I'm just kind of like in a perpetual state of, you know, ready to be pleasantly surprised, but not willing to be mm-hmm. the first person in line, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, Resident Evil. Yeah. Great example. Of that. Mm-hmm. You know, like didn't like we, we both went down with the ship with that, but like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's arguable whether we should have. And the uh, the newer one, you know, like I think that even though those mid games that are good, like the Revelations games are good, but with an asterisk. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, those are good, but they're not, you know, oh, man, this is as good as the games ever, you know, the series has ever been. They're yeah. they're good with like, 
caveats. Yeah, I like you know? I, like they, they are good, but I feel like I would lose credibility or stretch credulity if I tried to make too strong of a case about it. Yeah, like yeah. they're they're just they're they're pretty good. Yeah, you know they're pretty good. It, it captures a little bit of what old Resident Evil feels like. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and uh, but then they they came back with a with a vengeance. So I, I think generally it's good to be open to those franchises doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you count on it, it's a good way to break your heart. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I have a uh, a question here from Dustin. Um, says uh, there, there's kind of a little bit of a prologue uh, with some kind words. Uh, think you're, you're welcome, Dustin. Uh, then says uh, we're, we're going to skip that. Uh, then says uh, for the question, I'll make this quick. As a person who considers himself creative, I often struggle with world building in the fictions I create. I don't have much trouble coming up with ideas. I have trouble deciding when I have too much detail. Uh, do either of you have thoughts on when world building goes too far and the setting becomes suffocating rather than intriguing? Uh, when does uh, when does it give enough information or too little? And can you guys cite any examples that come to mind in the form of media? Thank you and take care. P.S. Cole is right about Final Fantasy XII. It's so good damn it i know read that as god damn it uh, it's so, <laughs> so god damn it it's so god that's so god damn it it's so that's so god damn it god damn it did you get did you fail your college admissions exam again <laughs> that's so god damn it um yeah when uh, i think so i i have thoughts about this mm-hmm. um i think that it has to do with how it's presented a lot yeah right like you can have so much detail if it's opt-in mm-hmm and you'll you won't it's it's much less risky yeah like this is more a problem of delivery and exposition than i think it is just like amount of detail see the dragon age codex totally yeah that's like yeah that's a, that's a great example and it when i think about world building my uh, my initial thought goes to the tabletop mm-hmm. you know because because of who i am and that's really tricky because you don't want to just be like an exposition monster during that like that's no. a really tough skill mm-hmm uh you know and the uh but if it, if it's a book and a book it's also really tough because you're choosing everything that goes on the page <laughs> you know so that is uh so i guess i don't have a real good answer for that like it is it is a fundamental part of good writing is handling exposition in a way that feels natural and compelling and does not feel suffocating mm-hmm. but I, I think of it as a presentational thing as opposed to just the amount of detail yeah uh, that's present in the world mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. Pre- present pre- presentation is the biggest part of it, you know, and specifically in in you know in, in in fiction and you know Dustin writing in talking about kind of their own creative uh you know questions or problems uh in in, in approaching this. I think you know try just just ask yourself you know check your gut. Am I writing a source book or am I writing a story? Right, like yeah. you can write the source book, you can have your Bible you know off to the side, but like doing those two different things seem like distinctly different acts even if they are correlated you know mm-hmm. so you know in movies and games and things like that i don't know like just to, to use an example that uh, that dustin brought up like final fantasy 12 versus say final fantasy 15 where one of them is a game that it just has a tremendous amount of detail that is unfolded as you go along and gives you the context when you need it as compared to final fantasy 15, where it starts up by saying, Hey, go watch this two hour movie. So yeah. you can know where this, where this starts. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it just like, it seems, you know, like, like the, that, that is an, an illustrative difference and it is about delivery, not so much about like the amount of detail that is provided. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, they're both probably similarly developed worlds. Yeah. 
you know, but it, it's it's about whether one of them kind of reveals it slowly. And that's also a thing, too. This is like everything and like, you know, uh, not a satisfying answer, but it's true is that this mm-hmm. is super subjective. So like one of my arcs on the show has been less tolerant of that in general, yeah. like a, of being exposited to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, is the thing where it's going to vary per person. Like some people will just have, a, you know, yeah, if there's, if there's codexes, I want to read them. It doesn't really matter like how it's presented or how much of it's presented. It's just text about the game. And I am thirsty to know as much about the game as possible. Mm-hmm. And then there's also like a lot for me, I'm more sensitive to that. And I, I, you know, I, I get more, more annoyed when things get in the way of the movement. Yeah. No. Like I, I have a, a real sense of pace that I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, for things and it's still i can still end up liking that stuff later like uh, you know one of the I, I have a printed out bound copy of the fallout bible that i mm-hmm. have like a kinko's make to read backstory on the first two fallout games mm-hmm. even though i'm glad that information was not in the game right you know yeah. it, it's it's a separate experience like george R. R. martin does that all the time like he mm-hmm. puts out like these encyclopedia like he basically puts out his bibles yeah you know yeah. You, you can get a published version of that and they're just different experiences mm-hmm. uh, they're both useful yeah that, that's you know. that's partly why I cited like the difference between uh between a source book and a and an actual story or a novel or mm-hmm. whatever because like source books are fun to read. We have a whole show about a source book, right? Yeah, yeah. source books are great. <laughs> yeah. I love reading a source book. You know, so yeah, <laughs> just make sure it's clearly labeled. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. One more. I'm going to shorten this just a bit. I think, uh, g- generally for everybody, um, you know, that some of these questions are going to be shortened. Um, remember that brevity is, is generally better, but this is, this is worth talking about in the kind of media and general online etiquette kind of portion here. So Mark, uh, writes in, um, starting up with some front loading, uh, specifically about a book by a linguist named Gretchen McCulloch. The book is because internet, the new rules of language, uh, and there's a quote here that I'm going to summarize just basically saying that the use of irony and sarcasm, specifically in online uh, conversations where tone is um, left undefined for the most part, is a bit of a trust fall exercise, a language to trust fall. You just kind of have to hope that people are going to hear you right and not interpret um, sincerely what you uh which she means sarcastically. Um, but then Mark goes on to ask gaming and other internet groups definitely spawn tight knit communities that traffic heavily in irony and sarcasm. But why do you think other tight knit groups that form around sports, religious organizations, etc., don't speak in equally sarcastic, sarcastic or ironic tones? Everyone wants to feel like they belong someplace, right? So why do gaming communities seem to rely on these linguistic trust exercises more than others? And do you think this is connected to the ugly gatekeeping habits that seem to crop up around gaming? games um yeah boy yeah <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't i don't i don't know having having not read having not read the book i don't know that i can speak to it with uh you know with with full i guess my question would be i don't know that games have a monopoly on this i i don't think i think we uh say games and other internet groups maybe so i'm thinking of this as being online oh like i immediately read this as being on like being terminally online right you know, and, and being about that, which has a, a, a large intersection with gaming, but isn't a one to one diagram like yeah. this is, you know, there there's elements of this in like trying to explain drill to gen pop, mm, yeah. you know, which is so on so many levels of irony and kind of double <laughs> meaning that like, yeah, it is, you know, becomes kind of impossible to even explain yeah. how it functions as humor, mm-hmm. you know, or not impossible, but just like difficult yeah um and for me it gets complicated because like i've seen how my older relatives specifically behave online 
And there's <laughs> definitely a certain, like, there's a good deal of, like, sarcasm and cynicism and, you know, for lack of a better word, like, double mean, double meaning speech as opposed to double speak um mm-hmm. that uh that, that that is thrown out there that like irony is so suffused like even just like the most like moderately online i'm going to use the word sorry boomer that like okay i think i think that it's just it's literally like hey this is water you know to bring to bring that back Here, so here's a here's an attempt at a, a stab at an explanation okay and you can tell me what you think about this and this is just like coming to my mind because i didn't prepare for this mm-hmm. um online uh communities or also this happens with games specifically because you're creating an avatar and you have a like a gamer tag that is kind of a thing uh you know an an extension it's a mask yeah is is it's you craft a mask Mm -hmm. so like online communication as opposed to real life communication um you are creating there's an act extra act uh that infuses every step of your communication and it's that uh even as somebody who Consider like I'm pretty transparent. Um, the me that is online is pretty close to the the real me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a one to one though. There's still an act of creation. There's still uh, me choosing to do things because there's an element of presentation mm-hmm. to it. And I think that that level of artificiality and kind of inherent falseness mm-hmm. that comes to this might lend itself more to irony and double speak because they're both kind of constructions. Yeah, like adding more thought and kind of intentionality to how you make an outer self mm-hmm. makes it easier to also say things that are not strictly true because it's all part of a construction. Once you stay, like, once you take that first step to start performing, the other stuff begins to follow. Yes. I think that that, that is my, my best stab at an answer for that. Yeah. Because I'm not that way in real life. Like I, I still use irony and I still th- say things that are not true, mm-hmm. but it's not, uh, they bleed into each other. Like online kind of humor, these kind of like levels of irony and stuff have definitely bled into my real life sense of humor mm-hmm. and everyone I know, yeah. you know, um, in, in like all my friends rather. But when I worked in an office and, and, and worked with people who I consider, you know, again, like affectionately gen pop, mm-hmm. like people who are, are, who are kind of normies. Uh, you know, to use a, an odious term, mm-hmm. um, they they don't do it as much. Yeah, like it's not like they you know everything they they weren't like a truth bot. It wasn't like they they weren't you know honorable <laughs> good Sorry. RPG protagonists. Sorry, I you didn't know? expect truth bot to come up. Yeah, they weren't they weren't, <laughs> they weren't truth bot, but they they were uh you know they they didn't they weren't operating on the same level. Mm-hmm. Really great example of that. I've, I've said this before. It was like as somebody who uh, previously thought of myself as somebody who had like a pretty good working knowledge of. Um, kind of weird sexual subcultures. No, no. You know, uh, which I had read about uh, online, um, largely like anthropologically. Yeah. You know, like I'm interested in this. So mm-hmm. I'll read about it like, oh, it's fascinating. People like this. Yeah. Um, when I would mention something like that, like when I was in an office and somebody would do something and I would make a joke about vor or something, mm-hmm. they wouldn't know what it was. I would explain what it was. And their initial reaction was like, oh, you're into weird shit. <laughs> and I had to be like, no, 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 no. Like I, I'm not. Retweets are not endorsements. Retweets <laughs> are not endorsements. And I think that it was, that is a, a, a fundamental online offline difference. Yeah. Like I was talking about it. I know a lot about it. I must mm-hmm. be interested in pursuing it. Yeah. No. You know, no, it's just it was just kind of fascinating to me. There is that remove, you know, my my constructed online environment was looking into <laughs> it and Googling all that stuff. Yeah. And I benefited from it, but it wasn't me or something I actually wanted, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I ran into this a similar thing with uh, with my with my job 
that was, I think, maybe a little bit more online because I, I worked with a lot of people who are roughly about my same age. But even they were, you know, more gen pop than I was specifically because they were more involved in church and stuff like that. Sure. And it generally, like, I, you know, I again, my, my online presentation specifically in shows was real close to how I'd be in meetings and how I would be on calls and things like that. And you just just occasionally you get people issuing that verbal compliment, which is oh, you're so sarcastic. It's yeah, like, man. <laughs> you yeah. son of a bitch, take that back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. just like the, 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 that. That is the only word, uh, you know. Just like, that's about how far Gen Pop has caught up. Sometimes you're so sarcastic, which is like a description of David Spade in 1997. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. like, I've got the T-shirt. You know, you're, you're you're so sarcastic. You're sure about trying turning it off and turning it on again. <laughs> really, it was a real knee slapper. Yeah. You know, you're so sarcastic. You want to win? <laughs> you know, just like, yeah, that, that's, that's rough stuff. Yeah. But but like, as uh, opposed to some of the other stuff at the end of this, you know, like, like why specifically do, you know, let, let's say nerd or enthusiast, enthusiast communities, gamers, extremely online people, you know, put this together, like shibboleths predate every, everything, even online, yeah. you know, it's just compared it, to like academia, like yeah. jargon, heavy, heavily jargon based academia, which is definitively a gatekeeping. Yes. You know, uh, thing. It's lots of things. It's mm -hmm. not the only thing it is. It's not the only reason. Not everyone engages in it, but mm -hmm. part of the reason some of the people do it is because of a gatekeeping. Yes. You know, that, that is, uh, that's, that's just kind of true. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know if that is an answer. It'd be interesting to read that book. Mm -hmm. uh, the quote that's in the, the question about how, like, it's a high risk, high reward thing to use that double speak mm -hmm. um, is something I, I, I don't know if I'm totally on board with because the reward, like, it is very fun to, casually just say like drill candle tweet and have somebody understand what I mean mm -hmm. when I see a situation. Um, but I have definitely gotten more into airing on the side of all textual communication being more direct and less double speak. Yeah. Uh, especially in anything with consequence because mm -hmm. the, the, the fail state, somebody just kind of being hurt. Like they're not gonna be hurt by me saying drill candle tweet, <laughs> me saying something mean, you know, yeah. mean that has like, you know, a double meaning and stuff like that. I try to be very careful about that. Yeah. I'm not always successful, the, but I, I think that the, the risk is actually higher than the reward. Mm -hmm. Oh, for uh, sure. Like, like the, the risk is infinitely high, specifically with irony. See how yeah. radicalize a normie, uh, the video that innuendo studios put out where irony is, you know, effectively provides a smoke screen for genuine um regressive uh bigotry. <laughs> yeah bigotry things like that or see uh what happened recently on something awful in fyid where a yeah. whole bunch of casual transphobia was actually like you know a smokescreen for a lot of genuine hurtful like motivated transphobia that was acted on you know yeah it just the, the yeah. like the, the fail state is infinitely high uh, and yep. the success is pretty much like, <laughs> oh, you get that too. High five, bro. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, like feeling slightly more a part of a community online is important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but boy, is it possible to overstate that importance? <laughs> like, uh, very possible to overstate mm -hmm. uh, that feeling. Yeah. So, uh, and there are also, of course, like the, mm. the general caveat with anything that, you know, comes up about this stuff where there are other avenues to that feeling. Yeah. You don't have to take the poison. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be transactional. You don't have to take that risk in order to get that feeling, you know, uh, on being understood. Yeah. They're not, it's not a one way mm -hmm. way to get that. Yeah. Um, moving on to some show questions. Uh, Sam Skidmore says, I uh, loved your D&D &D episode. Wondered if you have thought about doing another episode about tabletop games like Magic the Gathering or Betrayal at the House on the Hill, etc. Um, I like this idea. I would mm -hmm. like to do more of this stuff. It's logistically harder. Yes. Um, like I would, I would, I would murder 
to do a magic episode. Uh, I, I love magic. I have such a like so much nostalgia for it. It's such a well-designed game. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Um, and it would be really, really great. It's just yeah. such a huge ask. Yes. Like, um, it's, it, it's quite a bit specifically because like, there's really not an infrastructure for me here mm-hmm. without like going a couple of towns over and like insinuating myself into a magic, the gathering community for a year. <laughs> You know, I like I could play I could play a digital version and internalize the rules, uh, but that would, you know, it wouldn't probably wouldn't capture what people would want out of that. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing is we'd run into our Team Fortress. Yes. Issue, you know, which is like, you know, we're we we like a thing, but we talk about the thing wrong and we didn't dedicate our lives to it. So people are angry at us, Mm -hmm. you know, which is annoying. Yeah. Um, That doesn't really hurt us that much. It's just annoying. Yeah. So um, I would love to do more of that. I would love to do, uh, you know, something that is always in the back pocket of me is expanding the scope of the show. Like mm-hmm. on Twitter recently, I was like, hey, what iOS games could we do? Because yeah. we've never done one. And I think that would be cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we got tons of great suggestions. A lot of them are like, I don't know if this would support an episode. Mm-hmm. And I, I just I want to in the gentlest way possible to say, let us worry about what will support an episode. <laughs> you know, because yeah. like I bet you we can. Like I, I, I want to change the format of the show so it is not as like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to fail at those things if we're going to fail at them. I yeah. want to give it a shot. Yeah. Um. You know, maybe this would be a weird episode, but maybe that's OK. And then we just learn something and we, yeah. you know, the next yeah. week another episode comes along and it's OK. Yeah. Um. You know, so things like board games, uh, things like that, I'd really like to expand to try that kind of thing from time to time yeah i don't want to switch this into a hybrid show but doing a board game from time to time sounds like a fun and good idea to me i mean in the past like in the past we did the, the you know the narrative like you know the the game books kind of thing like that, yeah. that that's always been a little bit under the remit of the show and i've, mm-hmm. I've definitely proposed doing an episode about uh spider the secret of brace manor oh past. yeah and I, I, would so, love, I love that game yeah like i, I would be be way into doing that game mm-hmm. um you know there's, so there's, there's a bunch of stuff like that like i would like to kind of stretch some format mm-hmm. thanks yeah. I did uh, for people who are on the uh, premium feed. I did like a little solo cast about uh, Betrayal Legacy, which is a game mm-hmm. I hated. No. Uh, so the um, I, I think that's a really poorly designed game. Yeah. Um, you know, while still having some joy because I was playing with fun, fun and funny people. Mm-hmm. You know, but it I don't I think it's a really horrible game. Like just as as a little, for this specific person, if you want to hear my thoughts about that, they are up. Yeah. Uh, somewhere, and I, if it's something you really like, I don't mean to hurt your feelings or anything like that. I just think that's a really bad game. Mm-hmm. So. Um, more show questions here. Sam Anderson writes, I've been re-listening to early WAF and I feel like Gary has really upped his jokesmithing over the past almost decade. Gary, did you intentionally grow that or is this just years of experience? Are there other potting skills you two intentionally worked to improve? I love this because it implies I've always been this funny. Um, or, oh, Cole, you've never been funnier. (laughs) You you, you never got funnier than episode one. (laughs) <laughs> this this activated my anxiety sense when I read it. I was like immediately just like, oh. Well, I just I don't understand why you're singled out on it. I I don't know I don't know why either. There's there's a thing. It's a funny thing now because I think that you and I are both in the same spot where uh, we eschew the idea of any kind of competition. Yes. And not least of which because it's not productive. Right. You know, but also uh, anyway. I mean, I, I do in general in life but also mm-hmm. you know in, in the show specifically like i don't want to ever us to ever to be compared no even though i know that we're different uh-huh. it just it always makes me feel a little bad <laughs> yeah. and I, I don't uh there was somebody somebody wrote a mean and i've had plenty of people who have yelled at me like if you look at patreon exit surveys there's a lot of them who are really mad at me so yeah, yeah. it's not by no means is this something that just happens to cole but there was a <laughs> review on itunes once that said something similar to that and 
And I remember reading it and being like, this fucking sucks. Yeah. And then at the bottom of the iTunes reviews, it's like, did you find this helpful? I was like, no, <laughs> this is the exact opposite of helpful. Yeah. What are we supposed to do with this? Um, then I'm not calling out Sam Anderson. No, no. I just mean as, as a, you know, it's, it's such a, a, a funny thing where mm-hmm. like, you know, the idea of us being compared in any way just makes, again, it activates me. Like, yeah, no, I'm like, experimenting activate as, as a gentler word than trigger, mm-hmm. you know, like it just makes me like anxious. Yeah. Yeah. Like it arouses you, but in like in the non-sexual yes. way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, both ways. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, uh moving on to our next question Gary's <laughs> dick has gotten bigger since the beginning of the show why is this why has cole not worked to improve the size of his dick <laughs> <laughs> i keep on pulling it <laughs> <laughs> nothing happens um anywho uh i have not uh done anything intentional no uh it's just uh, and i think that in general in terms of like podcast skills i think that uh that i can only speak for me so you yeah can, you can, different different feelings about this um initially like i did think about that a lot i was like oh i need to you know strike all the weasel words from my my vocabulary i need to work on this kind of stuff and then i tried that i didn't like how it felt Mm -hmm. and then decided like so like a lot of things in my life um i'm a really big believer in instinct yeah and uh gut and i just decided i'm gonna try to do what is natural and most fun and easiest for me and feels the best Mm -hmm. and hope that works out um, and that is how all of this stuff happened. Like that is how, uh, you know, I think that both of our like sense of humor have evolved and, and changed yeah. and sharpened. And I think that's how our rhythms and kind of our, our critical lens and stuff have improved is largely just through practice and uh, through kind of following our instinct. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, if if I if I take this question to be addressed at both of us, you know, I, I will uh, kind of build on what Gary said. A lot of that is true for me as well all of that is true for me as well uh instinct has served me well um but i think that a lot of these things humor um and just general smoothness um you know things that could be read as like soft skills for podcasting all of those get better or improve um or are allowed to express better if you're comfortable and we've just gotten really comfortable with the format with each other with talking into microphones in our rooms alone stuff like that uh just yeah yeah, getting getting comfortable has been a huge part of that there are a lot of ways in which we have uh changed the the direction of the network or the shows Mm -hmm. to match what you know, felt easiest and most sustainable and most comfortable. So we, there's ways in which we crafted what we were going to do based around what was comfortable, not because of laziness, but because we thought it would have this knock on effect of creating a better result. Yeah. Uh, And we were right. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, and, and, and people were listening to this presumably think that as well. Generally there's more to be. Not everybody doesn't. Oh, true. Yeah. It's, 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 it's subjective. You know, generally it is better to lean into your strengths than to, try very hard to shore up your weaknesses in terms mm-hmm. of like spend spending your points if you look at this like tabletop or whatever you know yeah you know and yeah. you know that, that, that's another way to put it. like oh trusting your instinct and doing things that feel like they come naturally etc you know and they're like other things that just come from like oh listening to myself when i edit and it's like oh i i, I probably would be better served by doing a little bit more to think about where my sentences are going to end when i start them you know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's just a matter of like self feedback more than anything that we get from outside. And and it's not always a lot of those things are not specific to podcasting. It's just mm-hmm. kind of changing the way that you think or the way that you speak in general. Yeah. You know, we we talked about earlier, like the, the the version of me that's on podcast is very similar to the version of me that exists in real life. Mm-hmm. It's not a one to one, but I am not 
you know, there's not a whole lot of act to it. There's not a lot of construct to it. And it's funny because that ended up becoming not only just the way that I like to purport myself, but also became a major part of my tastes. Yep. You know, when I, when I listen to podcasts or I watch YouTubers or anything like that, like the people who just feel like people Mm -hmm. are always my favorite. Yeah. Uh, the people who are putting on a radio show are my least favorite. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I just don't think that's that interesting. Um, and it just, it feels worse. Yeah to me with some exceptions, like I love super ego and stuff, but like it, in it, with some exceptions, but it feels worse to me yeah. when somebody is clearly has crafted a, a podcast persona, mm-hmm. uh, and they're not just kind of being themselves and doing the thing that feels comfortable and natural. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. yeah, hopefully there was an answer in there. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. I, I hope, I hope so as well. <laughs> um, um, Rodrigo says, uh, have you thought about doing a WAF game uh, that you've already covered? Not like the RE2 remake because the remake is different, but the same game. Um, so I'm just going to kind of cut this off just because we, we have done that. Uh, yep. We did a Mega Man, Mega Man X, Mega Mon, Mega Mon X episode. Um, and the perpetual one for this uh, is always Bloodlines, uh, mm-hmm. which we have not done, but I would love another crack at that because I think that we kind of short shrifted it. Same. Um, yeah, so we have considered it. It's just, there's lots of new cool stuff to do mm-hmm. as well. So it's, it's not, hasn't been a priority. Yeah. Um, so. and I see one more kind of low, low hanging fruit show question here before we go into mm-hmm. uh, lightning round. Cause we're at about an hour on here. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Matt writes, uh, for the Jade Empire, Jade Empire episode, you chose different paths to follow, uh, but you both did the same path in tyranny. How do you determine whether or not to take different paths? Do you just uh, each play your own way and it's a happy accident that they're different? Tyranny is the exception um, on that. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, we typically try to do different paths or make different choices whenever we can. Uh, with Tyranny, I originally planned to play it a different way than I had the first time, but I it had been long enough since I played it that I really wanted to just kind of refresh my memory on this path that I liked. Yeah. Um, and I think that game is unusually good at like kind of, uh, having, you know, the path that we took was inherently really interesting and compelling, um, and, uh, pretty well developed. So it made sense to kind of cover it. There's mm-hmm. also a sense of it not being binary. So we weren't going to get everything. Yeah. And that made it easier not to get, you know, half of everything. Yeah. You know, once we kind of resigned ourselves, like, oh, there's four different paths for this. They all pretty different. Like, we're not gonna be able to cover everything. Let's instead, you know it doesn't make sense to just cover half. Mm-hmm. Like if we cover a fourth and speak to everything else that also works. Yes. You know? Yeah. The other yeah. time where we had pretty much 100% overlap was on the Witcher, but that was a game that mm-hmm. we both liked so much that it just, you know, it was like, no, you don't get to do that side quest. I get to do that side quest. Come on. Yeah. Um, and we just wanted to play it. Yeah. Like I just wanted to sit down and play that game naturally, mm-hmm. you know, but if you look at our episodes for other WRPGs, like we tend to split side quests, we split DLCs. Guilds like Morrowind yeah, like was that. a big thing. We're like, okay, yep. you take the fighters, I take this, et cetera. I've done the yep. line. But even that had like some overlap. I think we both did like Thieves Guild stuff. Yeah. Because it was cool. Yeah. You know, so the, the, at the end of the day, like a lot of the times, these, this question is answered by the fact that we still have to, like, we have to play the game. Yeah. You know, so we want it to be cool and fun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, uh, let's move on to, uh, to lightning round. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, this is me or you. Uh, I'll take this one. This uh, is me. uh, you can take it though. Okay. Uh, you'll ask Gary Cole, how did you guys meet, uh, something awful forums, podcast workshop thread. Mm-hmm. 
uh, more detail in previous episodes. Yes. Uh, Matt Bixler says, uh, how often do you feel hype for upcoming games? It's something that I've noticed they feel less and less, and it's hard to get a good bead on if that's just because I'm older or if there's some trend in games I'm not on board with. How much is having a game, uh, the center point of your careers feed into it? And would you even be able, be able to tell if it did? Uh, probably um, not. <laughs> yeah, probably not uh, in general. Right. Um, yeah, and probably wouldn't be able to a, tell what uh, I did. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I uh, typically don't feel very much hype. Um, right. I don't. I don't like hype. I am excited for Resident Evil Three. I think it looks cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited for uh, Bald, uh, Baldur's Gate Three. Yeah. There are a couple of things I'm looking forward to. Uh, Elden Ring, but it's mm-hmm. it's not a palpable feeling of hype. I've uh, left that part of my life behind. I don't know if it's age or or yeah. what, but I just don't. I don't take any joy. From the feeling of it, it right? Right. I I, t- I tend to if I if I note something that I think is look, looks good, I put it on a calendar for the release date, and I check in closer when it when it's going to come out. I don't really follow uh, pre release coverage on many things, really. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of that just kind of comes down to realizing, like, oh, there's so little that I would even play day and date if I bought it. So, like, being hyped for it. And having a sense of impatience or anticipation w- wouldn't really serve me. So yeah, 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 feels bad. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 it went from feeling good to feeling bad for me. Yes. Um. Yeah. Um. Uh, d- let's see here. D- David writes, uh, "What game unreleased or you just haven't gotten to it yet? Are you most looking forward to playing in 2020?" Um, I'll answer this one right away, uh, because I just said that we were not, uh, hyped about things and taking like RE3 and Elden Ring off the board. Cause we already said we're going to cover these. Um, I'm looking forward to getting around to playing Disco Elysium. Oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would really like to play that as far as getting, getting around to the other one is the, uh, the divinity tactics game that Larian's putting out. Mm, yeah. Like I just, I, like there's not really a developer right now. I have that much confidence, like as much confidence. And like, I just know that they will, I'm um, also, you know, again, it's not always not fashionable, but like, I'm going to play the shit out of cyberpunk. Yeah. Uh, it looks awesome. Yep. Agreed. Like I'm looking forward to playing that. So, you know, again, I know that's a whole ball of worms, but, mm-hmm. um, Holland says, uh, you finally captured, uh, captured for your heinous crimes. Oh, I thought this was going to go well. Yeah. <laughs> You are finally captured for your heinous crimes against humanity and are deported from America. Other than Canada, because that's a cop-out answer, what country would you choose to spend spend the rest of your life living, working, and eventually dying in? That's a really detailed uh, yeah. question. Uh, um, wow, certain starting to sweat here. Um, what does yeah. Holland know? Yeah. Uh, so um, the, 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 the cheat answer is I've always wanted to, uh, to, to, to live in Scotland. Scotland looks really cool to me. <laughs> but if you know if, if if the if the idea here is to get out of my cultural comfort zone uh germany seems real cool but yeah germany seems cool yeah to me i was gonna say somewhere in like the netherlands mm-hmm. you know i don't know exactly exactly where but it's hard though because uh i would want to consider the political climate everywhere i went and the the rising tide of global fascism <laughs> is making this tricky yeah you know <laughs> that that would be the that would be the the main thing i would probably look at though yeah is like where where do the the values moral and morals align most with mine yeah you know um so maybe, maybe somewhere in, in the netherlands possibly yeah <sighs> yeah if you thought you get one episode without talking about the rise of global fascism nope nope fascism mm. 
Uh, let's see here. Marcus writes, just a fun one, but what objectively bad games do you still like or enjoy from nostalgia, interesting failures, etc.? I personally enjoy a few PS2 era Scooby-Doo 3D platformers because they were some of the first games that I got for my PS2 when there was a rule that I could only, that I could only play E-rated games. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's, what's, what's good? What's good and, uh, objectively bad? <laughs> this what's is good hard. and bad. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know why this is so hard. I don't have, I don't, I feel like at some point I had one in the pocket, but a lot of the things that were in, in the pocket things, you know, the cultural opinion is turned around on. Yeah. Like I used to, it used to be a little bit more iconoclastic that I loved Pokemon snap mm-hmm. and now like everybody loves Pokemon snap, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's not, it's not my go-to answer anymore. Yeah. And like, I don't know. It gets a little bit hard because, you know, the, the, the jokey version of this answer is, oh, I don't like anything bad because if I like it, it's good. Right. But, uh, um, yeah. like, I don't know. Gabriel Knight two has a lot of people who dunk on it, but that's like a good game. Um, I'll, I'll just say bad, bad mojo. I like bad mojo, even though that is, yeah. you know, considered to be like a, a footnote at best and has a lot of problems. Yeah. I had a combo cart that had a uh, a Spider-Man and a Wolverine game for GBA, mm. uh, both of which I really liked. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that just because I, I liked those <laughs> games. But I don't know if that's, a, you know, if that's the, the answer. Genesis Spider-Man. But, like, a lot of these games are, like, 8 out of 10s. Yeah. Like, people like them. I was like, man, I love X-Men Legends 1. I replayed that <laughs> not too long ago, and I think it's really good. Yeah. But it's like it was when it came out, everyone's like, yeah, 8.5. Yeah. You know? So they're not trash. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Matthew uh, Woodyard says, uh, has there been a game where you felt or would have felt embarrassment to be seen playing it? I'll pick a visual um, novel. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing I'd feel embarrassed playing is like scantily clad, you know, uh, you know, pussy prison ass girls for <laughs> is the only thing that I, I'm going to feel embarrassed playing. And I don't play those games. Right. So so probably not yeah. for me. Uh so yeah yeah it'd just, be call hard. Me, just call me crazy like underage sex i'm just not into it i don't you know it's i understand i'm an outlier as far as gamers are concerned but i just don't think it's great uh you know to sexualize little kids i just i don't know it's just weird weirdo um I yeah i pre- probably something like just like dang dang and Ropper or something like that like i could probably defend it but i'd rather not invite the conversation so yeah yeah there's certainly parts when I was reading Berserk on my tablet on the bus, I had somebody behind me and felt weird because of the naked little elf. Puck. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Puck, who is indistinguishable from a naked penisless, like, 10-year-old <laughs> you know, on the page, out of a glance. It's like, oh, that, that guy, the, the big guy in the bus is watching, watching that, you know, reading that naked 8-year-old manga. And I'm like, well, yes, but it's actually a rich lore. And then, it's, and then I just throw myself off the bus because, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm doing the thing. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, no. Uh, let's see here. Which one was that? I forget. I've lost, I lose track. Uh, that was Matthew. Rose. You're on gotcha. Ryan. Okay, Ryan asked two questions here. Um, so Ryan says, "Do either of you have a dish or recipe that you keep in your back pocket for when you're hosting someone over, or even just when you want to treat yourself with some reliable home cooking?" Um, nothing in the back pocket. No, for me. Yeah. Like I have a go-to, like if there is a potluck or a, like an office kind of, you know, kind of thing, like I, I've i got a pretty good recipe for like cookie bars that, that, that I like mm. doing, but yeah, in terms of other stuff, no, nothing in the back pocket. It's all, it's all in the rotation. Like the cookie bars yeah. are, <laughs> cookie bars are different because that's a, that's a dessert treat, you know, yeah. it'd, it'd be psychotic if I made a whole pan of cookie bars for myself. 
Yeah, it's, it's a weird, weird behavior. You know? You'd find that in the fridge next to a head. You know, like next to a severed head is a plate of cookie bars. You know, in the Ross, the Ross case. You know, um, yeah, I, and like I will, like if I go to a potluck, I make there's like a corn salad I will make. Sometimes I've made it at home, but like cooking, you know, cooking for yourself or cooking alone, like the real different thing. Like I yeah. eat a lot of just like here's some vegetables, yeah, or here's some meat and some vegetables, mm-hmm. or here's a potato and some vegetables. Like, yeah, it's not a, a lot of big dishes because, uh, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense to cook for one and do that. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the second question, the, the, the second question here is I've recently been playing a number of games that while excellent, wouldn't fit the, st- the style of a show like watch out for fireballs or most similar podcasts due to their structures. Though the Frostpunk episode showed you guys are quite adept at working around limitations. Uh, for now, though, are there any games that either of you have been interested in doing for a show before, but interested in doing for, for a show before realizing it wouldn't be a good fit? Um, no, I, I think that we, we've, uh, you know, we talked about this earlier on accident. Like yeah. We didn't answer these questions on purpose and the same thing, but I think mm-hmm. that uh, I want to think of the show as something that we can at least make an attempt mm-hmm. uh, at anything. Yeah. You know, so uh, there's nothing I'm like, oh, this wouldn't work. Like I've been because I've been playing it basically nonstop. Um, I've been thinking about like how a Darkest Dungeon episode would work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that show there, the game is very run based, but mm-hmm. there's it would totally work. Like yeah. going area to area, class to class, boss to boss mm-hmm. um, would basically do it, yeah. you know, in Hamlet. And it would be a full big meaty episode. I think there are definitely uh, games though that would not work for a premium episode. Yeah, that's the hard bit. Mm-hmm. Like games that are all mechanics like that can't go in that last slot. Mm-hmm. but they can go in any other slot. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, like, uh, like the, the, the big genre that I play that we don't normally cover on the show, uh, is something like management sims, but Frostpunk show that we can do that. So, yeah. 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 I think we can, we can try everything, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, uh, final lightning round question. Uh, what are the best and worst Christmas periods uh, that you can remember? I don't know what Christmas period means. I'm just seeing like Christmas times, Christmas days, stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. Um, the, uh, so boy, best Christmas. Um, I don't know, like you get yourself a bad childhood like mine. Mm. They're, they're not good. You know, yeah. there's, I've had good Christmases, but there there's asterisks next to all of them. Yeah. So I don't have a good answer for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that, uh, you know, not, not saying that for attention or a cry for help. It's just kind of true. Yeah. Um, Lots of mad Christmases for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So. The, the Christmas where I got the Dreamcast was good, but like that was less about um, getting the thing, but it was just a good time with the family and and all of that. Mm-hmm. Like just a lot of like just it, it it felt like just like an endless two week period of you know kind of being in a cozy basement with with family play playing games and stuff like that. So. I don't know. I look back on that. Um, it's 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 weird when I think about like how I generally mark my Christmases by what system I got or by what game I got, and that doesn't seem like the yeah. the, the 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 thought process of a of, of an extremely happy person. Huh. Um, <laughs> it's the intention of Christ, though. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the worst, yeah. uh, there there have been Christmases um, where somebody's been sick, and like you know, family member had to be taken to the hospital. There have been uh, Christmas, mm. Christmases shortly after losses in the family and stuff like bad Christmas periods have been, uh, you know, they're just it's it's pretty easy and depressing to imagine how that could go bad. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I have a like the Christmas I got a Super Nintendo. I had a thing where I opened a Christmas gift and it was a Super Nintendo game before I opened the Super Nintendo. <laughs> and like that, that's a, that's a real classic uh, Christmas thing. And that was would be really positive. I was just at my like shitty stepdad's family's house who like I hated hated me. So no. like the gift part of it was good. <laughs> Everything around it wasn't good. And yeah. then I've had the opposite where I've had kind of like pleasant Christmases with girlfriends or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's as an adult and it's just kind of like a nice time. Yeah. You know, so it's not, yeah, like holiday memories are not really a thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, moving on to our topic uh, for this episode, I'll go ahead and read this out here. This comes from Dave. Uh, Dave says, uh, this is a discussion on the importance of video game endings. I just recently finished Fell Seal Arbiter's Mark and found it to be a faithful spiritual successor to Final Fantasy Tactics, and mechanically a great time. My one major frustration came with the structure of the endings. Without getting too spoilery, there is a bad ending and a true final ending. The bad ending makes sense mechanically, but the story bits make you feel awful for how you left the state of the world. On the other hand, the true final ending has you jumping through obscure hoops with arbitrary mechanics that almost demand referencing a wikier guide. To me, the previous 40 hours of a slick and engaging campaign were severely undercut by a maddeningly tedious final 10 hours. Trying to do right by these characters I've grown attachments with while trying to solve the riddles of the true ending. My questions for you are, uh, how important are video game endings to the overall enjoyment of a game in the moment? What about a game's legacy? Why do you think developers of games with multiple endings would choose an overly obscure pathway to their true ending? Uh, see Arkham Knight, some Persona games, uh, rather than allowing player calculation, like in Witcher 3 or Divinity 2. Um, how do you, or how do we treat video game endings differently than book or movie endings? When compared with other mediums and their endings, are the stakes higher for video games due to the time investment typically required? So figured at the end of the year, this end of our first year of doing these, mm-hmm. a good and fitting question. Yeah. So my uh, my general like shortcut through this, you know, is something I genuinely believe but shuts down conversation and doesn't necessarily have a place in this is that I'm just not bothered by bad endings, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. It is it doesn't really fact factor in too much for me. Maybe that's a defense mechanism let's, that comes from vocab being, something real quick. Yes. Sorry, sorry to cut you off because I think it's important. We yeah. I think we need to make a, a real delineation between bad ending as in uh, low quality and bad ending as in you got the bad ending of the game. Yes. So yeah. do you mean, do you mean a, a game that kind of shits the bed at the end? Or do you mean a game that like you get the, the world is ended despite your efforts ending? <laughs> uh, I mean, sh- sh- shits the bed, uh, in, in, okay. gen- in generally any, um, in, in generally any medium as well. This is, this is specifically about, um, about video games. So, you know, like it's important to make that kind of distinction, but like in terms of like the narrative itself, where it's like, Oh, that doesn't follow, or that doesn't make a lick of sense or, you know, like a franchise topper, like a mass effect three and what people see as, you know, what happens there or to pull something from the, um, uh, from the recent past on the show here, Deus Ex, where you're literally just selecting an ending based on, you know, by, by going up to a button, like that mm-hmm. shit just doesn't bother me. And it never invalidates what came before. Yeah. I, I, for me, a low quality ending has an impact, but it's not, it doesn't invalidate. It yeah. just, it matters. So like something, a good example that I use for this is Uzumaki, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, probably my favorite manga. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's really, really good. I think that there are still nuggets of good stuff at the ending, but I don't think that uh, Ido knows how to end a story. No. Um, endings are really hard. They're very hard in horror. Um, and I think that would be, it ends up being, a, it, it, it lasts for me. It's an asterisk. Yeah. You know, if I'm rereading that or if I'm recommending that, I feel like I do need to warn people like, hey, this just kind of wet farts at the end. 
Yeah. Like they, this does not have a good, because because to me, a good ending is really powerful, mm. um, you know, and, and does a lot of work. Um, so I, I, it does matter to me. It doesn't, it's not weighted equally. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the bulk of how I experience a work is always what's going to matter the most. Yeah. Um, I don't have that feeling where like a bad ending takes away anything that came from before, mm-hmm. but I'm always like, if this just actually wrapped up, like if this like, there's a reason why the wire is such a good show. Like mm-hmm. it just, you know, like one of the reasons, like it ends just really perfectly yeah. with the wire compared to game of Thrones, mm-hmm. you know, or something like that, where it's like, yeah, the ending of game of Thrones mattered. Like, yeah, it fucking sucked. It doesn't mean that the, the early seasons weren't good. I'm, I'm rewatching them now with my girlfriend and they're really good. Yeah. Like really good. But it it sucks that that story just decided to be shitty because by yeah. volume a portion of the story was shitty. Yeah. Um, the it, the I always you know whenever I think about media it's very very hard for me. I don't have the like the bad like Will talks about it as if like the bad parts turn into static. Mm-hmm. You know, for him it's just like I just don't see him. Yeah. And I'm like, what what a what an amazing gift <laughs> to just like ignore you know because why you could just like anything. Yeah. Because the the you know you don't notice the bad parts. I know that's not what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but like for me, the bad parts always matter Yeah, of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it's, they're not all weighted equally. Yeah. So, so a bad ending, a crappy ending will matter to me. Yeah. Uh, just not huge. I, I think that it comes out swinging like that mostly because, um, I, you know, that the, there's a version, this, this feels like a straw man, but I've actually seen this where somebody will say weak endings are immediately disqualified, disqualifying for a media, uh, for, for a piece of media or for a creator, you know? And so mm-hmm. like it it does it does not come <laughs> like it it just uh it, it does not come up without somebody saying oh that is shit like why would you why would you waste the time beginning when it doesn't end properly and I'm just immediately suspicious of any kind of disqualification like that so it is not an asterisk it is just like a a, a damning it is a verbal flaw that uh that 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 makes yeah. that makes discussion of a thing broadly in front of a lot of people um fu- fucking intolerable because it it just jumps in front of everything else was well, as a St- uh, Stephen King fan I'm, like that, you basically that, that, have to be okay with that right yes that like, I, I, that, that is a yeah. that is a particular defense mechanism that I have the, <laughs> that I have assembled by you know by being a Stephen King fan like I don't, yeah, like I it, don't it's, care. I don't mind the ending to the stand. Like, don't come at me with that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a you know, and, I, and it's a, there's a big difference between the there's a big gradient there. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm with you in that it's not a horrible thing. Yeah, even though like I think it it matters per the work, right? So like people talking about what happens with Lost was what scared me off of Lost. Yeah. Um, I never watched that show. And part of the reason why is everyone's like, yeah, it shits the bed. And it's a show based on mysteries mm-hmm. where a lot of the joy you're having in the first half or the first part of it feels like, and I haven't watched it again, but this is, I'm repeating other people's words and other, other smart people. Like you might mm-hmm. disagree with this, but it's not like I just, some guy was yelling behind a safe way and I transcribed it. Like <laughs> this is, this is something that like, you know, people have said about it is that like a lot of the joy is in the mystery and wondering what might happen. Mm-hmm. And then when what might happen is dog shit. Yeah that does have a backwards reaching effect that makes it feel bad. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing about Uzi, the reason why Uzimaki works uh, and doesn't, isn't invalidated by its bad ending is the whole time. The question of that is not why has the spiral haunted this town? What are the origins of the spiral? Mm-hmm. Like that is not, you know, characters aren't talking about that. That's not the mystery. There's like a, a bit of surreal remove and immediacy in the situations yeah. that obfuscates that question to where like, I didn't really end up asking that question until the characters started asking at the end. Right. And it didn't matter. 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and it, the answer is not satisfying, but it's, it didn't matter because I, I didn't spend a lot of time asking that. That's if there was a really for. cool yeah. answer for that, it mm-hmm. would have been awesome. Yeah. But it doesn't, it wasn't mandatory. It's mm-hmm. not horrible. Yeah. You know, I think there are works in which a good ending is kind of mandatory, mm-hmm. you know, um, and in games, games are interesting like this too, because, uh, so in games, it's pretty atypical that I really care that much about the ending, yeah. uh, in terms of it being high or low quality. And we'll talk about like bad endings in terms of like bad narrative endings as well. Mm-hmm. But just in terms of quality, like I care so much about how you spend the bulk of a game, Yeah. you know, which is why like, you know, Final Fantasy V was so torturous for me. <laughs> like that's why something like the end of Human Revolution doesn't bother me. Yeah. I wish it was the end of Deus Ex 1. Um, it wasn't, but that getting there is such a joy that it, mm-hmm. that's how I spent the bulk of my time. That was the majority of the experience. Yeah. You know, that time investment insulates you to an ending for me mm-hmm. in terms of like a low quality ending. Yeah. Um, and that gets to one of the questions that Dave asked here, like, like, why do we, why do we treat, you know, the endings of games or do we treat the endings of games differently um, than books or movies and stuff. And it gets back to something we said earlier in the episode. You spend more time with these things, right? <laughs> like yeah. it is, it is a kind of work, you know, in, in a value stripped of stripped of value sense of that word, right? You, you are working to get to that ending. You're putting effort in and you know how those hours leading up to it are spent make, makes a difference more, more of a difference than yeah. other stuff. And, and you're enjoying it on different axes. So like a game, yeah. one of the ways that a game can kind of shit the bed at the end um, <laughs> is through like being frustration. Like you can have Zen oh, you know, yeah. or the emboss of half-life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a different, you know, a, a game or movie or a book or movie rather that just kind of has like a, an unsatisfying ending mm-hmm. that can feel really bad, but I don't have to just die a thousand times and reload a bunch to get to it. <laughs> I can just read the last 20 pages. <laughs> I don't have to, you know, it's not stopping me from experiencing it, yeah. you know? So there, there's elements of the, the, the play part of this that are really important to the conversation, mm-hmm. you know, something just kind of being unsatisfying at the end is a really, really uh, different feeling than something turning into the end boss of half-life one, Yeah, you know, than something zenning. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're almost like different discussions, yeah. you know, and something just turning into human revolution where it's like, yeah, the ending Matic 3000 is not very satisfying mm-hmm. is better to me than the end boss of half-life one. Yeah. You know, is better to me than a Zen mm-hmm. section. Yeah. Because, um, you know, what you're doing always matters. Mm-hmm. Like it just, you know, it, it, it always matters. So it never stops. Kind, kind of how I. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I, so I, it always matters to me, but it doesn't, you know, it's not it's not the biggest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. It's not affordable. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think that uh, good endings and bad endings in terms of kind of obfuscating and stuff is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing Blasphemous for Bonfireside Chat next. I just beat that game. Um, I looked up how to get the good ending. I did not get anywhere close to it. Mm-hmm. It's obscure and ridiculous. And the bad ending that I got was very discouraging. Mm. Like it was basically, you know, congratulations, go fuck yourself <laughs> uh, as, as, uh, as an ending. In fairness, the good ending you know. is also that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's my understanding as well, yeah. which is, which is fine, uh, which is good. It's, it's the tone of the game. But mm-hmm. I, yeah, I get pretty annoyed by this stuff. I don't, uh, I don't think this is uh, a good way to put your, your good ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, behind things like the examples that you put in there, you know, where uh, like Divinity 2, which are three where your good ending is based on your player choice in the moment and how well you've been role playing mm-hmm. and how diligent you've been um, as opposed to hiding secrets. Yeah. Um, feels like almost like, uh, you know, a tabletop lineage versus like a Solomon's Key style hidden shit. Yeah. Lineage, you know, almost to me, like the the these like Western RPGs that you're citing have a tabletop sense to them where mm-hmm. like. 
it is about role playing. So you put your rewards for role playing as opposed to like, it's cool to have a secret that if you jump in the specific spot, a gem appears, mm-hmm. you know, that's what it feels like. There's almost like a direct line there yeah. between, you know, hunt down the, the secret endings <laughs> like that. I mean, for, for me, um, one of the things that makes the biggest difference is how long ago did I make the mistake that led to me getting this and seeing this? Yeah. Right. Because, you know, there, there are examples where you make a bad decision toward the start of this and that puts you on the road to something else. Now there are like whole genres that I have, you know, probably more of a tolerance for than, than, than you do Gary, where that is just a way that the story branches and you're not like, it's not that you're getting a bad ending. You are just getting a different ending that shows you more of the thing. It's just a different part of the flow chart that ultimately leads to the, you know, to the actual ending, but there are you're having the whole Rashomon story. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so seeing it from every angle, all the ways that it could go wrong, as compared to the one way that it can go right, you're getting useful information and, and, and all of them. It's just, you know, an ending is just a step onto, onto the other one. But like, I don't know. It, it sucks. It sucks being told, Hey, you made a mistake. When did I make that mistake 20 hours ago? And you didn't know you were being tested. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's funny. Cause that ties into, you know, Witcher three, which we talked about, you know, unintended consequences being a really sophisticated and cool thing that we like about games yeah and it, it, it depends on defining bad yeah right so like when you have the narratively bad ending there's narratively bad where the game is going for some kind of gray you know not ever, there are no happy endings in this world yeah right like it, it's it's not a world where that really fits things you can have the happiest possible ending but it's still not going to be sunshine and, and lollipops because that's not the story we're telling mm-hmm. or you can have the actually you didn't succeed in your goal everything is doomed yeah, yeah. you know ending which is what it sounds like, um, you know, Felseal does. Um, and, you know, because I've not, not played that game, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like that's what, uh, you know, Dave is, is referring to. Yeah. Um, that's a, a different kind of thing to present. Like, that is if you make the mistake 20 hours ago and you've just fucked up the world. <laughs> like, that that feels really bad. Yeah. Um, what I find, like, the, rather than you making a mistake 20 hours ago, a thing that I think is really common, which is what happens in Blasphemous, what happens in Hollow Knight, uh, et cetera, is you play the bulk of the game and then there is a task yeah. at the end that is go do optional area or go fight all the optional things. Mm-hmm. And then they put the good ending behind that. And I find that uh, exceedingly obnoxious. Yes. It's optional. So I don't, you know, it just, it doesn't take anything from me. I just don't do it. But I, I, I think it's, it's just annoying because I feel a little bit like I'm being slapped on the wrist. I'm kind of being punished, you know, and the other way to look at it is you're being rewarded for doing all this optional stuff, mm-hmm. but it happening in the last 10% of the game. It's like <laughs> you, pacing, like, you know, you, like you want uh, the sense of urgency. Like mm-hmm. I'm near the end of this thing. I'm, I'm going to go face the big threat. The world is about to end. This feels really right. Yeah. But I'm going to go like to all these hidden areas and fight all these ghost bosses, mm-hmm. you know, cause I just like, I'm just fucking around. Yeah. You know, and, and just like saying that, like, oh, I'm just going to start fucking around at 90 out, you know, 90 percent in feels really weird and, and bad to me. <laughs> and that being the wrong choice or, you know, that being the right choice. Yeah. Like, go fuck around. Go mm-hmm. kill some ghosts. You know, and the, the extreme example of that is given the question here, Arkham Knight. Right. Yeah. Where like that, yep, that yep. ending, which is only mo- like marginally better than the original one, the, the, you know, the, 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 than the one you get is hidden behind engaging with a bunch of bad systems, right? Give yep. you know, providing narrative closure as a reward for engaging with these challenge modes or, you know, X, Y, Z, these things that might not be mechanically satisfying to you, 
you know, this is irrational because the developer is not talking directly to me, but it feels like the director saying, Oh, you're, you actually like, don't get this game. You're playing it wrong. If you don't enjoy going and fighting those ghosts, you're playing it wrong. If you don't yeah. enjoy going after all those Riddler trophies, et cetera. And down yeah. the line, right. Like the white palace, which is totally a different type of gameplay mode than what we've been spending most of the game doing. Mm-hmm. If that's not your thing, yeah, then you fucked up. Right. And it's like, well, you know, and, and, and the, the, the punishment you're getting is just getting a different ending. It's not that big, you know, and getting losing some content, like not mm-hmm. facing facing a boss. So it's not the end of the world. Yeah. But philosophically, I think it's kind of shitty. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think one of the things I think about with gamers uh, and the way that gamers think about good and bad and uh, endings and stuff in games is that I wish more games had uh, what I consider and not everyone does, but I consider both endings of Dishonored. To be valid, I think the high chaos one is cooler mm-hmm. than the low chaos one, but I don't think of that as good and bad. Yeah. Um, and I want more things. Uh, I wish that more people approach games like they do tabletop where like something going bad or something having a suboptimal end for like a non happy ending mm-hmm. can just be cooler. Like it's a choice on a menu. Yeah. This is the way the story goes. Like I watch movies. I read books where mm-hmm. things don't go well yeah. for the characters. Why don't I? Why can't I play a game where this just doesn't go well? Mm hmm. For my character and like maybe, you know, Geralt is miserable. Maybe Geralt goes off and witches alone until he dies alone because he fucked up his relationship with Ciri. Mm -hmm. That's a valid end to that character and story to me. I don't think that that's like something that to be avoided. And I think it just it's deft. It kind of plays into the Jade Empire stuff like it takes good writing. Yeah. To make those endings feel narratively satisfying while being negative. Mm hmm. And the, the alternative is, oh, you fucked up and the wild hunt is taking over the world. <laughs> right. You know, that's how it would be in this, this fell steel kind of way. Um, but just making it like it's kind of a sad ending for your guy. But sometimes those are some of my favorites. Yeah. You um, know, uh, Bloodborne does that well. Mm-hmm. Oh, weird, weird example. Like I think <laughs> Bloodborne's a great job. Does a great job with that. Right. You know? Like even the quote best ending that you get, you know, you're, you're still, you're, you're still, a, a, I mean, it's kind of, kind of insmithy, you know, to, to, to go yeah. to a, uh, to go to something we talk about in the um, unfilmable that's coming out this month about, um, about Dagon. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, like it is, it is an uncomfortable ending, but it is still for different, for different uh, versions of, for different interpretations of the word good, a good ending. Uh, and because as yeah. a gamer, I had to do more work. This is obviously the good ending. Um, another example of this, uh, just where things don't always have to work out well, uh, Silent Hill 2. Uh, you know, yeah, has yeah. many different endings outside of the dog ending. I don't think that there are any endings on those that are actually like a bad fit, right? Like, yeah, the, the, there are different. You know, obviously, there's like the good ending where you get out of the town and you have a daughter, you know, a surrogate daughter to take with you, etc. But like the bad endings, at, you know, as devastating as any of them are, um, are they? They still feel appropriate. Right. Because yeah. it is the ending to that kind of tragic story. In fact, I think like the next to the next to worst ending where you live, where, where you leave with Maria and she has the cough like that is mu- yeah. that is much sadder and much grimmer than the you know, than the in water ending. Right. Yeah. It's, and, it's just different conditions. Like oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I love that ending of that story for that character. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's just kind of it's it, it's just good. It's It's like a, a quality of writing. Yeah. Thing, you know it's it's harder to do that mm-hmm. you know it, it it is harder to to do a, a game where like i can actually like this real downbeat ending yeah you know um like i think about uh you know uh sekiro like the best ending of that that where you put in the most gamer points and did the most chores i think is dumb as hell <laughs> yep <laughs> like i think the like the you know the dragon's return ending where mm-hmm. it's like you're gonna 
you you suck Kuro into a into a, a clone body to like go on another adventure mm-hmm. is the least narratively satisfying ending in that game. Yeah. And takes the most work. Like having, you know, it just being sad, like mm-hmm. Kuro and Emma mourning Sekiro. Yeah. It's like a better end to that story. It's mm-hmm. not the good ending, yeah. but it is a better ending. It mm-hmm. makes a very better story. And I you know, that that is that takes better that takes good writing mm-hmm. uh to do that and have it and not be that and that's that's rare in games, right? Yeah. Like that's not an original observation, but it's just kind of true. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why I think it's rare in games is because games are serving gamers and gamers like to get the good boy point. Like mm-hmm. we, we talked about that a lot this month with tyranny, yeah. like gamers want just like everything to be happy and you've filled up all the meters and because games in large are kind of escapist, you know, Great games me, are like validate me. <laughs> yeah. there, there's an element of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's fine if that's how you experience games, but it's not, it's not my favorite thing. It's not, I don't think it's the coolest thing games can do. Right. I think your silent Hill twos or your torments, uh, you know, I, or your Bloodborns or your Witcher threes are the more interesting endings uh, that you can do. And it's because they make for a better story that would stand up to other fiction. Like if this was a movie or this was a book, this would be a better story. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel artificial because everything worked out. Right. You know, um, I, I also like I love games where they have an ending and they're pretty rotten and there's just one where there's not choices. Mm-hmm. Um, like I love the ending of Final Fantasy Tactics. Yes. Um, that is a really uncomfortable and sad ending mm-hmm. that story, but that was the story. Yes. You know, that was what happened. Like, and I just think that's a, like a better way of storytelling, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's what I appreciate more in, in stories. I think it's more, it's more sophisticated mm-hmm. and richer. Yeah. And we thought, we talked about this too. I mean, it's, it's been a little bit of like the, the past six months talking about, you know, does media have to be difficult to be good? You know, yeah, it, it, it is ambiguity problematic especially when it's introduced at the end you know we've been talking about that in regards to movies and stuff as well um yeah you know that like the the answer is just not necessarily not necessarily yeah. you know and 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 uh you're not necessarily not either but mm-hmm. it's just kind of a uh you know so I, I think that the the idea you know when when games have the kind of wiki endings like mm-hmm. hey go collect all the, the doodads and that's how you get the good ending right um there's it plays into something we talked about on the show is like the security to let content be unseen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, from developers and that's something that is a skill and a confidence that not everybody has. Like mm-hmm. Arkham Knight feels very unconfident Yeah, to me in that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, it's like an, an, another virtue. It's like an admirable trait. Uh, the perspective, the authors of a game can have mm-hmm. that lend, have a, like a positive knock on effect. Yeah. You know, they they don't do this, like, go do all the wiki stuff to get the good ending because they're confident. Mm-hmm. It feels insecure Yeah, to do that to me. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. And a lot of this feels much less devastating now than it would have 15 years ago. Um, where yeah. you would, like, read in a guide about how to get this particular ending. But, no, fuck, I'm not going to do that because now YouTube exists. Yep. So. I can just I can just watch it and just kind of be – and and just, you know, earlier, kind of a weird accidental theme this whole episode is, like, letting go of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and just like the idea that I'll cut bait. Yeah. You know, like I got the bad end. Like I, I never got the good ending of Hollow Knight. Mm-hmm. Like I've never, I loved Hollow Knight. I never fought the the proper boss of it. Right. You know, and I might, I maybe never will. Like I got that game again, thinking I'll replay it. I might mm-hmm. end up replaying it. I love that game. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I want to do all the stuff. I don't know if I feel probably like doing the palace and going fighting all those ghosts. You're probably going to replay know? it and do the stuff that's fun. <laughs> it, well, exactly. Like, like it's, and that that plays into us doing the tyranny, you know, doing the same tyranny playthrough. Yeah. You know, it's just like uh, there, there's the best games allow you to kind of experience them that way. That is fun, and don't try to punish you 
for not doing everything or completing everything right like that like it's not a, it's not an interesting thing to test mm -hmm. i think completion. you know if the idea is yeah yeah completionism is not a cool or interesting thing to to you know i don't feel like i am exhibiting a virtue yeah when i'm a completionist grade me look you at know, me I, evaluate I, and rank me oh i'm good 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 and oh so smart <laughs> sorry i had to look up I'm the so actual smart. quote <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, it's it's real though right yeah like they're just they're just there are people who who consider that to be like that's how they engage with games like yeah. this is a way to be evaluated yeah well i'm, like, I, I'm not even gonna know, like put that entirely outside myself i recognize that in myself sometimes and it's something i kind of yeah. buck, buck against and you know try and push it's, push away as you get older, like you get to realize like, hey, maybe I don't have to be evaluated by out external things. <laughs> right. You know, maybe that was a fake idea that I grew up with. And yeah. like, actually, I get to be my own person and be self-actualized and not yeah. seek ex external validation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a cool part of it growing up and being, a, you know, being a person. Mm -hmm. It's recommended. Yeah. Um, like as a thing. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not um, there yet, we're not like saying <laughs> people are not as uh, we're, we're moved along. There. Yeah, like it's yeah. You know, if, if you don't agree, a... that's also fine. Yeah, for 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 me, realizing that like I don't have to hold myself up to the like external standards of things I don't like. I don't care about the developers of Hollow Knight if they don't think I'm good enough to do this. Mm -hmm. It's part of like it plays in that difficulty conversation because like the idea that you know Sekiro did not have difficulty options because the developers were trying to get you to rise to their level. What do I care about whether the developers like they don't know me? Yeah, don't, I don't exist to them. They're not going to like admire me for doing this yeah and well, abstract. They don't count. And, and what did they what did they do you know to to deserve having things turned around where they have to rise up to my expectations as somebody who wants to have fun playing this game <laughs> like, yeah you know yeah. Yeah. i don't yeah. know uh, that, that, that was probably overbroad and not specifically applicable to sekiro but like the idea that no. you have to rise up to their expectation as opposed to it being the other way around, which is generally like the tacitly accepted, you know, direction for that to go. Um, yeah. You know, it's kind of like just, yeah, well, what, what, what gives you the right, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, 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 it's I'm the one who has the power to, Yeah. To, exactly. You know, yeah. episode one, like don't threaten me with boredom. Yeah. You know, I, I can always just like I have that Steam library that also ties into a question from this episode yeah. waiting for me. I have hundreds of other games I've never played before that are just there vying for my attention. Yeah. Like, you know, playing bad cop with me does not work, Yeah. you know, because I don't have to play that game. And mm -hmm. then there's, there's lots of ways that uh, that applies to the real world, you know, Yeah. like I, I, I uh, with coffee, my preferred sweetener is Splenda. Splenda's getting out of style. There's rare Splendas. Yeah. If I go to a coffee place and there aren't Splendas, I'll straight walk into a family restaurant, walk up to a table and take a Splenda and leave. Mm -hmm. And I've done it. And like, I've been, you know, with my girlfriend or been with somebody and they're like, what are you, like, what are you doing? You can't do that. I'm like, are they going to stop me? Like, what, what are they going to do? You know, it doesn't, uh, no, no gods, no masters. Getting in trouble is a fake idea. Yep. <laughs> like, you know, don't, uh, don't allow if yourself white. to, if you're white, yeah. if you're white. If you're white, yeah, yeah, think, yeah, please bring, bring us back down, baby. <laughs> it is, uh, if you're white, uh, I would have been a, a puddle on the floor if yeah. I had done that, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's just, uh, I mean, that's not true. I could have had the cops called on me because yeah. uh, Portland is a racist city. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, you know, the idea of like always wanting to be evaluated and always wanting to play with, and those things are not, you know, worth worth questioning. Yeah. They, they, they are not dot 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 i don't know it's worth questioning it's not not they're not worth questioning they're not worth i, don't, yeah. I just wanted to make sure exactly. it didn't come across that you said the opposite of what you what you intended yes yeah i'm not saying yeah unquestionably 
it all is, the rules. If you're not worth. getting the 100% ending, <laughs> you've not played the game. It, it, it is worth que- uh... <laughs> It is worth questioning that instinct. Yes, absolutely. Or that assumption. And if, if, yeah. and if you operate on that assumption and you enjoy it, and like it just like this is how games make sense to you and you're having fun, fun mm-hmm. is real. I'd never take that away from you. Yeah. But in terms of like why I think devs do that and what I personally think about it, that's mm-hmm. that's basically how I feel yeah. about it. Yeah. Well, uh, play how you want, though. If, if you take joy from being a completionist, like that's cool. I'm, mm-hmm. You're taking real joy and it would never stop you. Yeah, yeah. It just, I, it's I, just a matter of like the, the, this is what I am hearing. Like this is what their communication is saying yeah. to me. Uh, the developers yeah. um, when, I, when, when I am faced with this, when I'm faced with that kind of ending for not, you know, going and doing all the Coliseum battles or whatever. Yeah, doing all the wiki stuff. There's also, there's an element too of like, uh, you know, every time a, a Souls game comes out uh, in the Bonfireside chat channel on the Slack, like it has become at least some people, like a good handful of people are miserable grinding all the Covenant rewards. Yeah. They still do it. So I'm sure they're taking some kind of joy from it, mm-hmm. but like, boy, during Dark Souls 2, did everyone hate that? Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I was like, what? you know, I, I, it is, there's a way that that does not make sense to me as a behavior. Like, why would you do it? Yeah. And, you know? And, you know, you, you don't want to, you don't want to question the way somebody has fun. It's the same thing with platinum in games, right? And we're like, oh, I had to right. work, I had to work so hard and do so much onerous stuff to platinum. I, I I have to assume if you're saying this, that you're an adult who makes informed decisions about how to spend your time and me saying, oh, that's dumb. Why would you do that to yourself is patronizing and weird and not necessarily the best look. But also, yeah, I don't get it. man. Well, I don't get it. And in this case, they're like just telling me they're not having fun. Over yeah, and over. that's the thing. Like, I know they have to be having fun because they're doing it, yeah. at least on some level. Mm-hmm. But they're complaining about it nonstop. Yeah, And it's not, this isn't me saying like, I wish you'd stop complaining. I'm not annoyed by the complaints. No, I'm just no. saying like, boy, like you're not having fun. This is a miserable thing for you. Why uh-huh. would you do it? Yeah. You know, it just contributes to that not getting it. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, was, like, I, was, I was, I was streaming and I'm, I forget this person's name and I'm not sing, singling you out, but you know, people, some people talk about the games that they're playing at the time, you know, if they're, you know, mm-hmm. while, while they're watching the streams and somebody said, oh, I just platinum death stranding, but I'm not sure if it was worth it. And I kind of went into, yeah. the, into the whole thing. Like, yeah, I'm not going to question the way that you have fun, but like, man, if those last 25 hours were a bummer, which is what you just said. <laughs> yeah. Then, then like, I, just, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, why would maybe, you do it? Maybe that should be data. If you decide to do it again, would be my, uh, yeah. would be, would be my suggestion as an uninvolved third party. Yep. Live and learn. Yeah. So I don't know if we got everything that's in that question, but I think that we had managed to have a, lively and unstructured conversation about endings yes so. <laughs> which is the which is the point yep yeah so good uh yeah uh so thanks everybody um we are going to now read your responses to december's games mm-hmm. and then we will be announcing what we're doing in february after that yeah um if you want to ask a question for our dispatch um or suggest a topic uh you do so by being a patron if you go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv um we have a bunch of topics uh, saved up so probably after the holidays and duck stream we mm-hmm. will sit down and do you yep. know another uh patron only topic episode yeah yeah you just uh to, to cl- cl- clear the docket a little bit mm-hmm. yeah. yeah uh so gonna get started here with responses about tyranny michael Ratz writes in um via contact during your coverage of tyranny on the podcast you both mentioned a few times how cool it would be uh, how cool it would be to have a tyranny tabletop source book for world building and lore and such your sort of in luck 
Fantasy Flight published a campaign setting called Midnight for third edition Dungeons & Dragons in 2003 and updated it for 3.5e in 2005 as Midnight 2nd Edition. The world state of Midnight is essentially the same as that in Tyranny. The big bad one, and the world bends under their reign. The much of Midnight sorts through the rules about how adventurers can survive and fight back in a world where reading, weapons, and magic are outlawed. Uh, there are also there are also rules for being legates, red uh, martial casters, not uh, unlike fate binders, uh, for the new overlord, opening plenty of possibilities for subversion and intrigue within the ranks of the winning team. Obviously, it doesn't have the exact world building of Tyranny's Rust Canyons or Old Walls, uh, but there's still lots of nice bits of story and flavor to be found if you're looking to deliciously darken the mood at the table for a spell. That's cool. I'd never heard of that. Neither have I. Yeah, I'll keep an eye out for that. Because mm-hmm. um, like uh, 3.5 and 3 are two editions of d and I didn't play very much of. Uh-huh. So when I like see those source books at like the thrift store or something like that, I don't tend to pay very close attention. Yeah. Um, you know, but I will take a look. That's also that a function rad. of names. Like if I saw a source book called Midnight, I probably wouldn't pay attention to it. Yeah. I just assume it was just a module, you know, or something like mm-hmm. that, like as opposed to, you know. So, yeah, that's cool. I will uh, definitely take a look at them. Um, Julia says uh, via contact, Tyranny is the only isometric CRPG to hook me so far. It's compelling, creative, and tonally consistent, but I gave up after about seven hours. I just felt ill every time I played it. Role-playing as a scared fascist lackey is just not for me. Tyranny is well executed, but its premise, what if you were the bad guy and if the bad guys were uh, very evil, is just an impossibly tight rope to walk. And the fact that it often empowers the player for making the worst decisions is totally unacceptable for me right now. In the end, it's like master, uh, masterful painting of an infected abscess. Sure, it's competent, but is it good? Uh, thanks for the episode. For me, this one is a service. That's reasonable. Yeah, I, I think that's reasonable. <laughs> I, you know, I would never say like if you, especially when you say like for me right now. Yeah. Right? Like. There's definitely like a, a not talking to clouds on a sunny day yeah. uh, thing that I that I understand, mm-hmm. you know, or not talking to clouds on a stormy day yeah. you know, thing that I understand. Like there there are times in my life where I'm like, I, I've not fired up Pathologic 2, yeah. you know, just because like that's the pit. And it's like, I'm interested <laughs> in it. I'm sure it's really good. Yeah. I just haven't wanted to like dive in the pit because right, of mental right. health stuff. Yeah. Um, this kind of thing never feels this kind of fiction. You know, this kind of like dark fantasy fiction never feels so real to me. It doesn't feel like hatred or postal or anything like that that has like a, a real world analog. Mm-hmm. It just feels like, you know, Game of Thronesy. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, to me, you know. in a way that I just it doesn't activate those mirror neurons for me. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to look at somebody who is saying, oh, I don't want to enact scared lackey fascism uh, when that when I recognize that around me. Like, oh, yeah, no, I yeah. I, I get that 100 percent. Um, I also sure. get like, I don't know, just why, why would you, why would you touch the stove if you know it's the stove? Like, you know, like dark fantasy stuff generally is pretty far, uh, from reality, but I still am not rushing to do an evil playthrough of torment because that is a particular kind of existential horror that I don't feel like inflicting on characters that I care about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Appetites for darkness are real, you know, gamer psychographic. Yeah. You know, and like one of the reasons, like a nice thing about this show is you and I both have real bottomless appetites for darkness. Yes. Um, you know, which is why we can do all these like really bleak survival horror stuff and things like that <laughs> that are actually, you know, like why we came away from Silent Hill 2 being like, oh, this is like masterpiece class, not, mm-hmm. hey, this is too sad to consider. Yes. You know, because that, that, that is 
also an extremely bleak game. I think that one of the things about Tyranny is that, uh, and I'm not saying that Julia is doing this, but I think that it does it a disservice to put it in that postal hatred yes. box. Yeah. It is, I think that it, it is more than a scared fascist lackey simulator. You have a lot of room for expression in that. Mm-hmm. I think the premise is that it's that, though, and you have yeah. to kind of work to buck that, Yeah, which I think is a strength, but it's also something that can turn it into the stove for somebody. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can also see somebody saying, oh, this game's marketing is telling me that's what this is, so I'll, I'll believe them. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Like, yeah. it is it is the, the premise. It is the premise of the game, even though it's not. I don't think it's strictly true to the execution mm-hmm. yeah. of it. Um, so yeah, I definitely don't fault anybody for just not wanting to to do a game where bad stuff happens. Yeah, you know, like it is. A, you know, my my Twitter timeline, my peers are full of like. There's like a, a thing recently. I know again, this is not what Julia's saying at all. I'm not painting any kind of brush mm-hmm. on her. Um, but like uh, Scott Benson had a tweet I really loved where he was talking about how indie games are full of people patting themselves on the back for making. Tender Frog House instead of Call of Duty. And that was such a good articulation of something I've been struggling with all year. I mean, since like the about since violence about violence. violence yeah. 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 Like, you know, don't I, I, I get annoyed at people patting themselves on the back for, you know, oh, I'll, I actually enjoy Goose Game and uh, uh, Pleasant Hike. I don't enjoy Mm-hmm. games where you shoot people yeah you know, i don't want to play Dusk. Like, i want to play tender frog simulator and it's like well that, that's okay. that's really close to being martin prince and playing the uh, my dinner with andre and like i only yeah. play the my dinner with andre arcade game tell me more like that's not you know and, great either man yeah just don't pat yourself on the back for it yeah and again yeah, julia's not doing that i'm I just mean that I understand there are people who are patting themselves on the back. There are also people who are just like, I just can't stomach violence right now. Yeah. And I have no, I don't disdain. I have no disdain for those people. Like, yeah, it's, I can't, yeah, it's fine. I can't stomach violence or I can't stomach being put in a position to inflict violence. Uh, I can't stomach bad things happening in games or I can't stomach being the person who enacts those bad things in, in games. Mm-hmm. Like all of those are useful points of articulation to, to be able to spot. Right. Yeah, and my my only annoyance is when it becomes self satisfied, or when games get the automatic gold star for <laughs> not doing those things. Yeah, like those frog detective games look house. cute as fuck, and I've played one, and it's it's nice, but yeah, it's not uh, yeah. not not necessarily you know, um, and it's it's not necessarily something you know something that solves a problem just by existing. Yeah. Yes. There's there's so much we talked about this in that violence dispatch, but like. The it, I think about that as so much of why aren't there more games about just hanging out with your friends and, and having birthday parties yeah. as a rejection of genre more than a rejection of violence. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it, it's like, well, we don't have a lot of movies and books about that either. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't we don't make media about, yeah. you know, someone going on an uneventful hike without drama or conflict <laughs> like conflict. Conflict is the soul of drama. Like that's not that's something baked into stories. It's not something baked into video games. Yeah. And it, it's part of the reason why the tender frog house stuff like mm-hmm. drives me nuts. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, again, that's not me calling out Julia. I just kind of no, like, when no, I think just... about there, there's, there's two different kinds of class of people who are this, for whom this is not for. There are people mm-hmm. who are like, yeah, I can't handle this. Like I don't want that violence. And like, that makes sense to me. And mm-hmm. there are people who are like, yeah, it's, it's evil that this exists because games should just be about giving high fives, you know, to, to teachers that you liked in high school. And I'm yeah. like, well, okay. Yeah. It is, you know? it, we have a disagreement about whether or not it is our project to try and balance the scales. <laughs> like the, yes. the, the, that the violent, the violence that exists is a death that we need to pay down. And everything that bucks against that is just building the, uh, it's just building the other side of the it's ledger higher. Yeah. 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 That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think of art as debt yeah. like that. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. um, what does Luke say? Luke says, via contact, uh, Tyranny probably falls among my favorite top 10 games of all time, despite being a somewhat humble production that ends in a huge blue balls moment. Uh, because of your coverage, I felt like hopping back in for another playthrough, opting to respond naturally as opposed to specifically role-playing a character. Turns out role-playing as me leads me to accidentally showing the Vendrian guard too much mercy uh, while getting kind of a buzz on. One thing led to another, and before I knew it, I was leading the coalition of the tears. I was hoping to steer it toward pragmatic, self-serving evil, but the rebel path really does push you toward being a good guy. My my ending cards were all extremely optimistic. Unified tears, subjugated Tunon, Barrack living as my bodyguard, who knew that I could be such a good overlord while getting drunk off my ass? Being being drunk and accidentally being good is funny to me. <laughs> I like that quite a bit. Yeah. Like I, I intended to be an asshole, but I was drunk and gave somebody a present. Fuck, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I uh, mean, if I was role-playing as myself, if I was not uh, leaning into my crepulence uh, with this, then I would uh, – that, that that probably would be what I, what I followed. But Avenger and Guard wasn't what I was there for, so – yeah. yeah, it's a different different way. You know, that game is one of the ways that game is good. Mm -hmm. It allows you to, to express yourself and uh, the self that you're going to try on for a little bit. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Riley says via contact. I played tyranny siding with the rebels, building up an army loyal to me all the time, skirting through by obeying the letter of the law while having clear disregard for the intent. Or so I thought <laughs> as I went on, it started to become clear, uh, crystal clear that Kiros was all too aware of the loopholes and their wordings to the overlord building an army out of the tears dissonance, killing other archons and securing control of the tears is perfectly acceptable. So long as I'm loyal to them. The highlight of uh, Base Neverwinter Nights 2 was the trial scene, and Tyranny's trumps it. Winning Tunon's loyalty by successfully arguing I never actually committed treason is fantastic. <laughs> At the end of the game, I swore fealty to Kiros, uh, the would-be rebels, and are now my vassals, and by extension, the overlords. I couldn't help but see how my own archons rise paralleled Graven Ash. Though we never met Kiros, their cunning and secrecy and cold pragmatism made them truly a memorable villain. Also, as an aside, it's neat how Tyranny just happens to have more female companions than male. Games typically have an even balance or more men, so it's cool to see a game that foregoes that. Yeah. Yeah. It is definitely like Lady Squad. The first time mm -hmm. I played, I played with a lady, and I had all ladies yeah. uh, with me um, once I eventually ditched Barrack. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, you know, it, it is a, yeah, that is a cool thing yeah. about it. Um, yeah, and I all those hints about, you know, that being Kuros's will that you're doing on accident are do make that such a, a good villain. Mm -hmm. um, again, just smart. Like he feels smart and well written. Yeah. You know, he's not uh, a twirling. You know, uh, abstract. Yeah, like an angry abstract. And, and it's and it is a fantastic expression of a mastermind. Somebody who yeah may, just arranges it so that you doing the thing that most benefits you also benefits them. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a cool and risky place to play. In. You, you, you have you have never uh, you, you, you have never escaped their influence. And their greatest trick was convincing you that you did. Mm -hmm. Until unless and then they, you know, eventually you can rebel against them, mm -hmm. you know, at the end. And like the nice thing, that's the thing that I liked about the endings that we got, which is like, that's what they thought. Yeah. But they, you know, they chose the wrong tool. <laughs> I will still stick my thumb in your eye. Yeah. Yeah. yeah bite the hand. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Gordon writes via contact. Quite a few RPGs toy with the idea of belief creating reality. 
The Archons and Tyranny add an incredibly interesting aspect of personal horror to this by being a runaway process, often out of the control of the person at its focus. And as his fame grows, a stony giant, the effect becomes stronger, leading him to becoming a literal stone giant. Uh, a composed and logical lawyer becomes a willless embodiment of law. Um, a two-faced and shadowy spy, uh, a two-faced and shadowy spy master becomes a multi-faced creature of nightmares. An archon gains powers, but they lose themselves and become a caricature of who the world believes them to be, both physically and mentally. The story of tyranny ends before the ramifications are truly felt by the protagonist, uh, which is a shame as this would have made excellent epilogue material to see what the player's actions have ultimately shaped their character into. Uh, a, a big a, spire yeah probably another spire that's hello. that's where the spires came from hello i'm a spire <laughs> like live in me <laughs> recruit for me recruit build, for my hat build a library on my head <laughs> yeah i would like a book hat please <laughs> i'm narcon of spires tell give the, me forge hat <laughs> tell the tell the smiths to not hammer so loudly oh i got a headache i'm the archon of spires i'll I'm have five words no. <laughs> you know, this is the largest tears I could afford. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that that is an awesome part of that yeah. game. You yep. know, surprising amount of uh, Torment DNA mm -hmm. uh, in there. Love that. Well put. Very, very cool. Well put. Absolutely. Uh, Darth Ender says, uh, I really loved playing this game. After reading about the premise and deciding how I wanted to be able to play through the game, I was pleasantly surprised to find out that at every step of the way, everything I wanted to do, I was able to do. I essentially played through the game with the intention of taking control away from my evil overlord, but do so uh, to do so by playing along and just doing my job really well for the entire game and then betraying them at the very end. And that's exactly what I did. Traveling the land, assisting our people wherever possible, fixing all the disasters throughout the land quelling the rebellious population, solving people's personal issues. So by the end of the game, I had pretty much convinced all the people of the tiers that my solutions were always the best solutions uh, <laughs> they were going to get for their problems. I went over pretty much every one of Kiros's archons, except for the voices, like I had to go, yep. uh, convinced Graven uh, that I was the disfavored true leader, even convinced <laughs> Tunan that my justice was the true justice. And only at the very end did I declare myself the true ruler of the tears. What was surprising was how, even though I ended up declaring myself the tyrannical ruler at the end, it still somehow felt like a good ending. As I had essentially put an end to the fighting, convinced the locals that my tough but fair brand of dictatorship was a boon to them, while curtailing a lot of the outright villainy or Kuros's own uh, of Kuros's own forces under my command. I know there's a path where you can straight up join the people that tears against Kuros. That's the real good path. But considering how evil the game lets you get, my ending felt warm and fuzzy by comparison. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also felt like the, the independent ending is not evil. Right. Like it, it feels like a good ending to me, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for a similar thing. And I think it is really, really cool. This game allows that because it's the kind of thing I wanted in a lot of video games. Mm -hmm. You know, why would my character do this? They yeah. wouldn't do this. Yeah. Don't have to. I wouldn't work for this person. <laughs> I, would, yeah. I would try and to stop them. Yeah. Obsidian. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they let it happen. I don't want to side with Mr. House. Like, just because this guy forced me to come here and told me what to do doesn't mean I have to do it. Oh, nope. wait, I don't have to. <laughs> you know? What if I shot? The oh, shit, I can shoot the thing. <laughs> okay, cool. You know? No. It's a Obsidian. Yeah. Oh. Just the, 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 there are consequences. Don't, you know, consequences mm -hmm. don't always have to be bad. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Jacob writes via contact. Tyranny is one of is one of my favorite games of all time. After Pillars of Eternity's world building and story really fell flat for me, Tyranny was such an amazing breath of fresh air. I wanted to point out uh, what I feel is one of its greatest background details going on throughout the whole game. Most evil dictators have a law against speaking ill of them uh, because they have fragile egos. But Kyrus has to have those laws in place and heavily enforce them because they are well aware of the power of belief. And all of Kyrus's complex, inscrutable laws in place are there to specifically shape the people's belief in Kyrus uh, to that of an unknowable god, thus making Kyrus a god. Even the law against using Kyrus's name in vain plays into this. If enough people say, Kyrus damn you... Will Kiros end up shifting into into someone who spends all their time personally punishing petty slights? With how detached they are from the public and how much obfuscating information they put out about themselves, I feel like this whole conquest is because Kiros knows how belief works and everyone is just fuel in the belief engine. Uh, that is supposed to evolve the overlord into an omnipotent being. I love how Obsidian handled this. Handled this. Uh, and while the game does end abruptly, I almost think it's stronger for not having any sort of confrontation or meeting with Kiros, uh, leaving them uh, as this force that you're never quite sure you've actually defied or not. Finally, a shout out to the DLC for adding an ending that lets you, instead of casting an edict, simply magically declare to the whole world your loyalty to Kiros. I don't know if Obsidian ran out of time before adding that ending in the base game, or if they just didn't expect people to actually want it, but it does, to me, make the game feel more complete by letting the player be a bootlicker the whole way through. Yeah, this is definitely a good addition. Yeah. Um, previous to that, very well said. Yeah. You know, that that's a, that is a really awesome thing about this game. It's a cool idea of, like, maybe, you know, the idea that no one's ever seen Kuros is because everyone says no one's ever seen him. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, maybe that maybe he does not even really exist at this point because no one's ever seen him. <laughs> right. You know, it's just this force or this idea, like yeah. all of that, like belief shaping reality shit is catnip to me. Yeah. Um, Especially when it has unintended good. conflicts or unintended consequences, you know? Yeah. So. Someday, someday way down the road, we should do uh tides of Numenera. Yes. Cause it, it's, it's not, you know, it's no torment, but it, it, it quite literally is torment but not torment yeah Yeah. i mean it's it's cats can have a little torment Um, (laughs) can have little torment (laughs) everybody always everybody always puts the a in the wrong place in that and it it really cheeses me off i i think i think they're both cute Uh, yeah i think cats can have a little salami is very cute yeah (laughs) like i think i i like them both um but like i i think that uh you know again it's not i don't think that game is perfect or anything but I, i do think that it it plays in some of these spaces in a really fun way. Yeah. So cool shit. Yeah. Um, Patcha says, uh, by contact, Hey guys, I picked up tyranny after your first episode based on what you said about the, sorry, you, hey you, said, you said, Hey guys, like Greg, sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to. I know it's, it's, it's got a mind virus. <laughs> um, Hey guys, I picked up tyranny after your first episode based on what you said about the writing alone. Well, I'm pretty sure I won't get to finish it uh, before the write-in deadline. I want to share a few thoughts with you I had about the game. First, I really appreciate how much a shaded and complex morality allows for more interesting responses or fates for the characters you don't like. I was setting with the Scarlet Chorus since I wanted to get different content than your playthrough, and I was struck by the way which you can handle censor in that route. Uh, You hold on to the Silent Archive, but you can offer him a chance to hold it and acquire a portion of its knowledge. When the subject of reporting into the voices comes up, you, knowing full well what will happen to him, 
point out that he would be a better choice to report back, being a member of the chorus and all. You've outmaneuvered him politically and sent him to a face fate worse than death, partially in revenge for getting in your way. <laughs> that kind of pettiness is great. It's a, it's a more complete feeling of anti-heroism than you generally see in games, since the thing you did is terrible, but you need not to have done it for sadistic and capricious reasons. How refreshing. The other point uh, that I think is very much in line with other opinions expressed in Watch Out for Fireballs is how much of a tragedy it is that the combat feels unfun. Early on, when dealing with the Bronze Brotherhood, I found myself choosing options that didn't involve combat because I didn't want that gameplay, uh, not because I thought those choices were in line with the way I wanted to roleplay. It's hard to bring myself to roleplay agreement and law first, but violence is pushed. If the systems make me reluctant to use violence, would my characters, uh, as I conceive of them, would probably be okay with it. To make you a parody of yourself, Gary, it's one of the reasons uh, why 0451 games that encourage different styles of play but don't limit your toolbox hold up so well. Give me the freedom and desire to choose a path throughout the game that makes both uh, make sense for uh, my narrative and fun is in the and are both fun in the hands. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think that you know it's the same. I wish that Tyranny had better combat. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, I, I think that in general, like, I think it's not a war crime or anything like that. There are joys to be had in it, but I mm -hmm. think that it's the weakest part of the game and the game would be much better if it had better yeah. combat. It's sensible that it gets in the way for as many people as it does. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, to, to that point of like, oh, I can be petty in this and that is good. I think that's a much finer line to walk because a, another expression of pettiness is what happens all the time in Jade Empire, which is pay me. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's just like, they're, 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 you know, playing small ball is fun, but there's such a thing as like a, a real tedious kind of small ball. So like, pe pettiness is a good word for what happens, you know, for what you for what you do to censor in that playthrough, uh, which is amazing, by the way, but like, it also incorporates and can include uh, if you don't exercise discretion, stuff that happens in, in Jade Empire when you take the evil path. Sorry, the yeah. closed fist path. And the closed fist. Not <laughs> evil. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, what uh moving on to responses about Jade Empire. Yes. Jade Empire. Uh uh sorry, I about said Jade Empire writes, but that was last episode. <laughs> um <laughs> Don't be so mean to me. <laughs> Why you don't like me? <laughs> um, um, Alex writes via contact, Jade Empire uh, is in a very strange place for me. As a lifelong fan of Wuxia films and a Bioware fanboy, at least at the time, it was one of, as, yeah, it was one of my most anticipated releases. I was especially into the open palm and closed fist idea. Different takes on the same general path to heroism sounded like a breath of fresh air compared to the alignment grid. Of course, they botched this entirely, uh, and a full-on closed-fist spirit monk is one of the most vile and pointlessly evil characters in the history of video games. The practical incarnation, speaking of torment, uh, was a monster, but I'm pretty sure he never brainwashed his party members into uh, being sex slaves, or, you know, killed water. Still, <laughs> still, I can't bring myself to hate Jade Empire, if only because there is a weird lack of games based on Wuxia, uh, which you think would be ripe for inspiration. It is, yeah, it is weird that there aren't more of these things. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Make more of them, people who make games. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, even even if not for me. Yeah. You know, like I'm not a big Wuja guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting. I thought it was a cool setting. I think it's the coolest part of the game. Same. But I, I, I do wish the game around it was better. But I'm not. I, I'd be lying if I said I was like super horny for. Yeah. Yeah. For Wuja stuff. Like, mm-hmm. eh, I'm OK. I'm glad that this exists. I wish it was better. Yes. You know, so. Um, and yeah, the uh, that kind of kill the puppy or, you know, pet the puppy, eat the puppy <laughs> thing is definitely on full, full effect here. Yeah. Yeah. Us covering this has had the weird knock on effect of turning the watch out for fireballs channel into 24 seven mass effect chat. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, people, I know that's, a uh, my, who is a, a bonfire site chat alum and, and friend and, and good person on the Slack mm-hmm. was talking about how often, like even in that series, which is later for Bioware, like she would choose the Paragon path and it would still end up doing something like way eviler than she thought. Yes. As a thing, like it, it is something that Bioware got better at, but never got good at, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, uh, Garrett says, uh, via contact, as a console gamer growing up, my introduction to Bioware was Knights of the Old Republic on the original Xbox. If KOTOR was what got me in the door, Jedi Empire was what solidified my love for Bioware. As a kid, I loved the morality systems in these games because my original idea of what an RPG is was stats and numbers. Again, a console gamer. Having a meter representing my way of the open palm or closed fist was very satisfying. Coming back to this game years later and having played games like Fallout New Vegas, morality meter feels quaint and too quantified. Uh, for something that should feel more open. The fact that it ties into gameplay systems means it is better to be pure white or pure black character tendency to get more powerful fighting styles in your mm-hmm. arsenal. The game tries to make the system less codified by having Sun Lee tell you uh, that a person might have a variety of valid reasons for acting bad or good, but the morals are so codified in the game's stat system. that This felt like an attempt to hand-wave the meter and put more responsibility on the player, but again, the game encourages you to play one side for stats, not for your own feelings. The dated moral system aside, I love the game's Eastern art design and combat system. Though a bit stiff by today's standards, in terms of movement, the amount of different uh, attack animations and styles that you can do is still impressive, while being slick and streamlined in a way that I like. My biggest regret is playing Jade Empire, uh, in playing Jade Empire, is knowing that with the way Bioware has been going and the time since, the likelihood of a sequel or continuation is looking more and more hazy. I want more toad demons and martial arts in the vein of traditional Chinese paintings. It's such an underutilized motif, and it bears more exploration by studios who give proper respect. Yeah, uh, that is two votes for more Wuxia. So yeah, yeah, agreed. Like, it is an underserved market. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the the information here. Like, there are people who want this stuff. Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about how the morality system is at odds with the stat system. Um, and again, you know, I know that I am like such a ridiculous Obsidian partisan, but like, <laughs> they're they're the studio that solved this, and the way they did it, you know, which shows up in alpha protocol and tyranny and stuff is by rewarding you either way. Yeah. You know, um, as opposed to just being like, if you max out a meter, you get a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Like they love meters. Yeah. You know, yeah, the, like, like the, the way to solve it is to have more than one access. Additionally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, have more granular rewards, like not have to, to max something out, Yeah, you know, in order to, uh, to get the, the reward. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's a little bit of errata that I want to address specifically because Knights of the Old Republic was brought up here uh, in mm-hmm. the episode for Jade Empire. I believe that either I I'll, I'll, I'll take this. I believe I misspoke and implied that Kodor 2 was developed by Bioware. No, that was Obsidian. Um, mm-hmm. Some people took specific exception to that. I did not mean to imply uh, that Obsidian, yeah. you know, that Bioware was responsible for that one. Yeah, the publisher and developer stuff and it gets yeah. confusing. Yeah. That's games. Mm-hmm. you know it, it's uh it happens yeah so yeah 
Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's everything. Thanks, everybody, for writing in. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have things to say about our January games, you can uh, hit us up by January 15th. Um, those games are The Cat Lady, Dusk, and Shadowrun Dragonfall. That's our premium episode for that month. We'll mm-hmm. also be airing our live panel from the 2019 Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Mm-hmm. Yep, it'll be a good time. Um, and now is when we announce the games that we are doing uh, for uh, uh, February. Yeah, so yep. that is the month that follows. I am excited. I'm looking at February or, you know, January through April, and it's mm-hmm. all bangers. Yes. I am extremely excited. Uh, so first week, we were doing something new. You know, again, just kind of on accident. Uh, ends mm-hmm. up, you know, kind of tying into a bunch of the questions and stuff. This We're doing a format <laughs> challenge. Maybe we, talk, maybe we talk about those things because they're on our mind. It yeah. wasn't. Yeah. I forgot that this was what we were doing until I opened up the spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but uh, our patron, patron Doug, uh, is sponsoring a month, and we're doing something that uh, his terminology, uh, Atari Safari. Mm-hmm. Um, we are doing, you know, we are not doing split EPs as much anymore, but mm-hmm. uh, we will for this. Um, we're choosing each choosing a handful of Atari games, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about Atari. Yeah, that'll be an like, episode. You said a month. Oh yeah, no, well, it, yeah, it's not, it's not Atari month. Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> we're doing a, bat- a battle battle tank part three, <laughs> the side quest. Yeah. Um, you know, for for such a huge part of video games, mm-hmm. it's weird that we have not talked about Atari. Yeah. Really? Uh, and I had an Atari growing up. Like, I have affection for Atari. Same. Um, you know, I want to uh, to really dig into some of these games and find what are, like, good Atari games that are, like, straight up just, like, good and cool and innovative and fun to play. Yeah. Uh, even in this year, 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to assume that when we say Atari, we mean the 2600. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm in the Jaguar. Okay, so yeah. I'm doing so, exclusively so that, that, uh, exclusively games, <laughs> exclusively yeah. Alien versus Predator, exclusively yeah. games that are impossible to emulate. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, no, we we mean the 2600. Yes. Um. So I uh we have not chosen our our slate for that. Mm-hmm. Um. We'll we'll do that soon, but we'll make an announcement as to what we're we're playing. But we definitely want to hear your Atari memories because you know we're all yeah. old. <laughs> we're all piles of beef on the side of the highway. Yep. <laughs> like, you know, so. no casket, please. Um, no casket, please. Yeah. After that, uh, we are doing Death of the Outsider, a Dishonored Story. I don't mm-hmm. think that's the full title. Uh, but yeah, they put out that big media expansion pack. And uh, if there's Dishonored content to do, we are going to do it. Yeah, it'll be it'll be satisfying to complete mm-hmm. the Dishonored uh, kind of, you know, coverage, even though we never quite did uh, the Brigmore Witches or anything. We just kind of talked about it. Yeah, Type 5, but we talked about that. And this is the final, uh, at least for now, seems like it is the finale mm-hmm. of the Dishonored universe. It is really interesting in its lore implications. Yeah. You know, it features the outsider and his death. <laughs> um, you know, it features fan favorite Billy Lurk. Mm-hmm. It does some really interesting, like, I think it has really incredibly strong level design. It does an interesting thing where it pairs down your powers mm-hmm. uh, in a way that I have really mixed feelings about that I'm looking forward to revisiting. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's just, it, it's, uh, we're, you'll, you'll understand when we announce what's coming next, why we, uh, chose something kind of lightweight. Yeah. Uh, cause we have an incredibly spicy meatball, which is a, a rare opportunity where someone picked something for Patreon and it was a really long game and we decided to go with it. Yeah. You know, uh, because, uh, Nicholas Gardner, uh, my hero and yours <laughs> has sponsored, uh, February's premium episode on XCOM. XCOM, the 2013, 2012, 2013, the yep. recent one. Yep, with the expansion, with yes. uh, Enemy Within. Yeah, so both Enemy yeah. Unknown and Enemy Within. So those missions and those uh, those upgrades and stuff. Um, I have wanted to do an XCOM episode forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I love XCOM. Yeah. Um, I've been looking for an excuse to play XCOM, but it pretty much 
always seemed like something we would do for this. So again, the, uh, the perennial thing, uh, very happy to have the excuse. The, um, the rhythm of that, the, like, you know, it's very similar to darkest dungeon. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just the place I'm at in my life or if it's, I've just discovered like a key to a new <laughs> room in my heart that I didn't know existed. Yeah. But that rhythm of do a little bit of base management mm -hmm. and then go do a tactics, then do a little bit of base management, like managing <laughs> both those things at the same time is fucking i don't even know how to describe like the the way that that is a perfect combination of gaming to me mm -hmm. the rhythm of that is so satisfying to me yeah like fuck uh it is i i love that game <laughs> so I, and I, I often forget about it. i played the original xcoms uh and loved those like when i was younger but i always forget about it it's one of those things where it's like oh yeah that is one of my favorite games of all time yeah <laughs> why does that ever pop up when i'm like talking top fives or top tens like i just mm -hmm. forget about it but it's really up there. Yeah. Um, really excited about that. That is going to be a little bit weird. You know, lots of systems. And then the the second part of the thing will be um, our individual stories, because that's part of the appeal of those games is emergent storytelling. Right. You know, the kind of drama that comes from a high difficulty tactics game. Um, and then talking about the plot, which is actually cool and uh, kind of does like a rah-rah humanity thing better than, you know, a lot of other media does. Yeah. Like it, it feels good to defend the earth from these alien fuckers. So yeah uh so Not alien have... fuckers like willie tanner and, yes and his unfortunate relationship with elf but alien fuckers <laughs> like aliens who are mother you know her shits that's yeah. what i mean yeah. yeah um so uh if you have things to say about those games either for january or for february uh please write in at uh, duckfeed.tv slash contact the, de the deadline is uh the 15th of each month for that as always, mm -hmm. we'll remind you, uh, uh, brief and novel are preferred um, mm -hmm. in terms of responses. And uh, if you have thoughts about multiple games, do multiple responses. Uh, don't uh, weave them together. That makes it easier for us to kind of call, call IDs and put the notes together for the uh, yeah. for the dispatches. We end up really appreciating that. Yeah. I know it's a little bit extra work for you, but it helps us out quite a bit. Um, and then, uh, you know, if you want to get those premium episodes, uh, become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TV. We really appreciate it. Uh, everyone who does that, everyone who has done it. Um, when you are hearing this on the early release, it is the day before Duckstream. Yes. Uh, so please tune in. Mm -hmm. Tune in, tune in, donate. It's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, that is December the 20th, begins at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, and then goes for 48 hours all the way through to Sunday night. Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, even if you cannot uh, give monetarily, which we understand. Uh, something that makes that, uh, you know, a successful event uh, is when people uh, watch and participate in chat. Uh, so keep us going with your um, fun, uh, ongoing conversation. That's a big part of it. Jeeps and jest. Yes. Uh, and spread the word. Yeah. Retweet, you know, things like that. Somebody asked me like, hey, could I tag people to retweet it? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. You know? Come on, Austin Walker, retweet this cool yeah, thing. Do it. Like, that's going to be me. You know? <laughs> uh, so it can be you as well. And um, we just, I mean, the main goal, we just want to raise as much money as possible because it's a, it's a great uh, cause. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that is the idea. Yeah. We are raising money for the Transactive Gender Project um, out mm -hmm. of Portland, Oregon, out of the, um, um, oh gosh, what are the, the Lewis and Clark University out there? Yeah. Uh, this is our fifth year raising money for them. Same organization. Yep. Uh, they just had a restructuring. So that is why. And I guarantee I will accidentally say Transactive Gender Center. Yeah. A dozen times, but it's actually the Transactive Gender Project. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. 
But um, yeah, so it's, it's going to be really, really fun. Tune in. Um, and all the other stuff, you know, you've already done it. Uh, we just appreciate you. So thank you mm-hmm. for listening and thanks for uh, supporting us. Yeah. Uh, we'll see you next time. Boom, boss. Boom, boss. Mm-hmm.